Welcome to The Long Take Review, a film podcast with one eye always on the Oscar race. I'm your host, Jen Substock-Tide-Bankard, and I'm here with a couple of other podcasters. Why did it have to be podcasters? First, it's the friend who would surely save me from bad dates, P.T. McNiff. How's it going, P.T.? Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, until I get back my $5,000, you're going to get more than you bargained for. I'm your goddamn partner. It's, it's good, Jen. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing well. Thank you. Uh, and you'd never catch him hiding in a fridge. It's Greg Cass. How are you doing, Greg? Very good. Fresh from not outer space, but the space between spaces. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, so, so these quips might give you a clue as to what we're talking about today. Indiana Jones. And more specifically, we're doing a whole episode to help you get excited for, or perhaps just mentally prepared for, kind of depending on where you're at, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, which we're all seeing sometime this weekend. Greg and I are seeing it on Thursday, which by the time this posts is, will be tonight, probably, and PT was going to see it on Saturday. Uh, and after that, after we've all seen Dial of Destiny, we're going to record another episode to review just that film. But today's all about looking back at past films and just generally appreciating Indiana Jones. We're showing our love for everyone's favorite archaeologist. So let's start with everyone's prior relationship to Indiana Jones. And since Greg is wearing a fedora, he gets to start. <laughs> uh, all right. So the standard line I've been using with uh, friends, family, passersby on the street, students, <laughs> dogs I talk to uh, is that actually I people know me as the world's biggest Star Wars fan that they know but I actually loved Indiana Jones long before I loved Star Wars because Indiana Jones was in my house and Star Wars was not growing up um, uh, we were just comparing notes I'm a child of the Star Wars dark time so I was born in 1983 and my family just wasn't a sci-fi family but they were an Indiana Jones fan uh, family and so we had the VHS tapes uh the whole time i was growing up and i was like welcome to to grab them and and watch them after a certain point um so i fell in love with indiana jones i would say like by the time i was in like fifth sixth grade i'd seen the original three and and really really loved them and it always felt across you know my kind of adolescence as star wars came back it was like there was always the hope that Indy would come back but it really was like slim pickings um, a couple great memories I have um, on a field trip to Boston, uh, there was a bookstore in Faneuil Hall that was the Doubleday publisher. And that was the first time in my life I saw the Indiana Jones books. And it was like a dream. Like I walked in, there were like 10 books. I'm like, there are Indiana Jones books. Uh, and I bought like two or three, like whatever my, you know, probably lunch money for the field trip uh, could handle. Um, and then it was like, I had found a special secret and nobody else could find them. Nobody else could order them for me. And this is a long time ago. So there was no internet booksellers or anything like that. My other favorite memory involves Jen, uh, which is uh, we were in grad school when Crystal Skull came out and we went the day all the merch dropped. And I believe there were peanut M&Ms that had Indiana Jones on the bag. And there was definitely Dr. Pepper that had Indiana Jones. And we went and scooped up a bunch of this stuff. Plus, I'm sure 
books, posters, action figures, all the usual crap. And we went to lunch. And as we sat there at the table, the the waiter or waitress came up and was like, so you guys are like promotional? You're you're out on the streets giving out these <laughs> these uh, Indiana Jones stuff? And we we're like, yes. no, we're, we just really love Indiana Jones and have uh, a, and then I do remember they made us put away the Dr. Pepper. They're like, well, no outside beverages. Get it out of here. So, <laughs> uh, so uh, those are my bona fides. Long time Indiana Jones fan. So maybe you'll remember this. Sorry, you you get to go in a minute in a second, PT. But I found when I was cleaning out a bunch of my books, my bookshelf, I found this mm. diary from Crystal Skull. So, but I do not remember where I got it from. So is I this? Bet, from... I bet that was that day because we okay. would have been right near the Barnes and Noble near the Prudential Center. So okay. I, bet, I was like, did we get this in Disney World? There. Like, what is? Because it's like a diary written from the point of view of the KGB. It's very odd. It's like. Yeah. <laughs> but thank you that, I will. that sounds awesome that yeah. does sound like that would make sense that like the late 2000s was also when the i think i have the like jedi order text and they had like a sith text that mm. was uh, obviously star wars stuff um but like they would publish the books and then it was like annotated from different characters so it was like these are yoda's notes and this is luke's notes and qui-gon wrote this and so i could see that maybe being like they did an indiana jones version of it. I feel like Indiana Jones merch is always like, what if we did the Star Wars thing, but with Indiana Jones? Yeah. Uh, paint and, it, it, paint like, indie. <laughs> and it And it generally doesn't, you know, sell, but yeah, um, but yeah that's, that's fun. Yeah. So there's like redactive memos. Mm. That's cool. In here. And, the, but then it's, but it's supposed to be the diary of like, it's, it's the notebook, right? Indy's notebook, but, mm. the, but that's been confiscated by the KGB. Mm. I think is the premise of this book. It's it's very weird. Anyway, <laughs> but PT, what what is your your relationship prior to this to Indiana Jones? So, I mean, I, I'm not trying to to like win any contests or trump anyone uh, in this conversation. Um, but uh, the, the thing that I say um, uh, to to people, and, and this is accurate, is uh, watching Raiders of the Lost Ark is the first thing I remember in my life. Um, like the earliest memory I have is sitting on my couch in my parents' living room and a, a babysitter who lived across the street who was babysitting me was super pumped because my grandparents had gotten my parents a VCR, which was like a super, it, it, it felt super new. Uh, and they were able to rent what was then like a brand newly released on video movie. And the moment in Raiders of the Lost Ark, when he got the truck chase, when he gets thrown out of the truck and he's hanging onto the hood ornament and it just slowly bends down and then snaps, <laughs> like sitting in the chair, sitting in the couch, watching that in that context with the like still very like 70s decor that was uh, my parents' living room is the first thing I remember. I can't remember anything before that. So basically it's been with me as far as I know in my, in my, uh, in my brain. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I don't remember, uh, seeing, cause I was still like, that's a flash of a memory. I don't think I would have been old enough to go see temple of doom in the theater. Um, but I definitely remember I was about 10 when last crusade came out and it was like marketed as like, and it's, and James Bond is Indiana Jones's dad. And so like my dad was like, made sure like we went and saw it together. I think we saw it like a couple times. Um, and you know, that's, uh, um, that, that's a good, happy memory. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it was just like pretty, 
pretty constant. Um, you know, I I think it's been discussed before. I came from like a movie family and we're rewatchers of movies. So, you know, it would be a thing that would get thrown on uh, as like everyone's happy. Like n- no one, no one's like going to be sad if one of the Indiana Jones movies gets put on. Um, and uh, to go more recently, uh, my first uh, trip back to movie theaters after like the pandemic uh, like mm. or, or the pandemic, not like the pandemic, but the actual pandemic um, was uh, after the the first sort of uh, double dose of the vaccine. When it was like, I guess we could go and do things again. Um, was uh, the all three of the original Indiana Jones movies in one day uh, at the Million Dollar Theater in downtown Los Angeles, which has incredibly uncomfortable seats. So I don't necessarily recommend sitting there for uh, you know almost seven hours. Um, but maybe they're not uncomfortable. They just are, any seat is uncomfortable if you sit in them for seven hours. Um, but just magical to watch them all. Like uh, they all play like gangbusters in a crowd, especially a crowd full of people who were just excited to be able to go, feel like you could safely go back to mm. back to the movies. So yeah, I don't know. I mean- I love Indiana Jones. If I'm thinking about early Indiana Jones memories, they're actually traumatic because, (laughs) and I don't remember Like I'm not as precise with my memory and age as it sounds like you are. So I don't, I don't know how old I was when I had from what that, that this memory came from, but I have a distinct memory sneaking behind the couch in our living room while the rest of all the grown-ups in my family were watching Temple of Doom. Mm-hmm. And and the, so there was Temple of Doom and then True Lies. Those were the two movies mm. that like scarred me as a child. Sure. Um, and, and like and they and like just they were really my family is just really bad somehow. In retrospect, I don't know why. Maybe they just didn't I don't know if they didn't care because if they saw me looking, they'd be like, get out of here. <laughs> right. But but they just were like not very they were pretty oblivious. It was pretty easy for me to like watch adult movies when I was <laughs> on the on the on the, the DL. Um but I remember the heart grabbing scene in mm. Temple of Doom, like that was in my nightmares all throughout my childhood. Like that was just like something about that was so terrifying that it really stuck with me. So like, I don't don't know, Uh, but that, but then I, my happy memories are, you know, we used to go every couple of years to Disney world as our like big family vacation for the year. And the Indiana Jones stunt spectacular is one of my absolute favorite things. Oh yeah. And, And I just remember like with, it's something I would look forward to every year and it never got old. Like I've I've probably seen it a dozens of times, <laughs> uh, and it's it's never gotten old. So that's that, those are kind of my early memories. I think about. And Greg recently was share. I forget this was like a an Instagram post or or a a text message share. I didn't know because I've moved to the West Coast. It would have the Disneyland. Like I didn't know it was still happened. I was just like, oh, they must have gotten rid of. Uh, I assume they would get rid of that at some point. Um, but they still have it, and that made me so uh nostalgic (laughs) for seeing it i didn't go every year but i remember going like a handful of times uh when i was a kid and like so incredibly jealous of greg because he's just like i'm here at the like and having a photo it's like oh man that's that's awesome i wanted i think it was 
he booked his Dial of Destiny tickets while sitting in the audience. <laughs> yes, waiting that's for correct. The, the stunts so we, right? You know, the way Disney World works right now is you have to tell them in advance which park you're going to start the day at. And I had just picked Monday to be our Hollywood Studios day. Um, and I saw sometime over the weekend that like that was going to be Dial of Destiny tickets. But I, you know, didn't think about it again because I was trying to take my kid to Disney World and experience Batu and all these great things. And then, uh, you know, we sat down for the 330 uh, Stunt Spectacular. And I was like, oh, I forgot to order Dial of Destiny tickets. And I'm a little I mean, they're still kind of available. I'm not sure how this this is going to do. But, uh, you know, I, I had a, a great seat. and It was like perfect. And I definitely bragged to everybody. I know I'm like, I'm sitting essentially in the temple ordering my Dial of Destiny tickets. Um, but I will say my one complaint about um i have probably been to the stunt spectacular maybe eight or nine times in my life i think i've only seen the whole thing complete once there's always some part of it not working and i don't know if this is a, a common experience this particular time that time we were sitting there they did the temple portion and then they're like and it's thundering so we can't open it up and do this the marketplace so we oh, were no. like oh we waited 20 minutes for a 10 minute show so it was still a little disappointing but you know it's it is such a great experience i think the key in florida humidity is go to the midday showings if people are listening mm. and want to do it because by the afternoon there's often enough of a thunderstorm threat that they don't want to do the big parts we're all if we're also doing like deep tangential india jones cuts the lucas arts game oh my mm. god yes india jones the atlantis one the, the fate of atlantis the yeah. fate, thank you thank you i've played that so many times apparently not as many times as pt because i didn't remember oh. the exact title but <laughs> well the weird thing for me is i actually spent way more time playing the last crusade adaptation mm. which doesn't really change anything but makes it a point and click adventure and it was like sort of a the lucas arts maniac mansion style um way of interacting with the world which was awesome um and then yeah i just played that so much that when fate of atlantis came out i was like this is so exciting and then I don't know what happened. I remember never finishing that game because I had done mm. Last Crusade like 20 times just playing through that game. But the story was great. Like I remember reading and, the Fate of Atlanta story. And they kept trying. And it's shocking to me we don't have 20 Indiana Jones video games because it seems like a no-brainer, but they've never quite cracked it. Uh, they did Infernal Machine and Staff of Kings. And they did... Uh, the little uh it's like yoda stories but is a desktop adventures that was a great lucasarts title mm -hmm. and then i think two different lego games which are are on brand for lego so yeah i think part it's of the challenge might be that to make a really good indiana jones game i feel like the puzzle part of it has to be really good and that's mm -hmm. just harder than mm. like an action more of just an action platformer kind of situation so which this might be a good segue into what we want to talk about next which is what do you love about indiana jones like what are the key characteristics and i both mean that in terms of as a character what do you love about the character what do you love about the film franchise and and just kind of like what are your what are the defining features that you associate with it well, I, I mean, I would say maybe this is starting almost too obvious and basic, but the, it's a sort of globetrotting uh, adventure with an eye towards some sort of, you know, you know, the MacGuffin, the sort of thing that he's always after is based in some sort of uh, uh, historical religious uh, iconography. Uh, and because it's you know, sort of set in, uh, or at least you know, the, the, the beginning of the character 
uh, is is uh, you know in the 30s that you know, there's obviously at least multiple times where it's like and he's fighting the Nazis because that's stuff that like Nazis were also doing. Um, so you know that sort of the the, the brewing the buildup of uh, of World War II is a part of it. There's negative elements to that to which maybe we will save because uh, that's not what I love about it. Um, the, the 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 colonialism of it all. Um, but uh, but yeah, uh, so it's that the throwback to that kind of old serial that like you know Lucas mindset of just sort of like yeah, what if it's just sort of like every like 15 minutes is like its own little story and there's another big action scene um, that happens there. Uh, and uh, the other thing I will just add is it, it it's. Uh, you know, the the character is just someone who gets the crap beat out of him all the time, um, which isn't unique for, um, you know, for Indiana Jones. But um, I think that's so important that like this isn't like, you know, The Rock and Jason Statham being like, we will, well, neither of us can ever lose a fight. So, you know, how are we going to figure out to be in a movie together where we're constantly fighting? Because we'll never, we, we, our, our persona is we can never lose. Harrison Ford is just like, I lose all the time. Uh, and and I'm, I'm constantly losing. And no one is better at like really leaning into taking a punch and looking uh, bewildered by it than Harrison Ford. I was going to say looking fabulous. Yeah, oh, totally. Also. I mean, look, yeah. yeah, and and also, like, does anyone in the history of humanity look better than Harrison Ford in a leather jacket and a fedora? Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe Harrison Ford in a suit, lecturing a class in glasses. But um, those are really the only two options. That's well, probably um, one of the things I love most. I mean, like, the three of us. I think it's no coincidence that the three of us are professors, and we really <laughs> like this character. Uh, I don't know how narcissistic that is, but like, but the idea that he's un- somehow this great adventurer, very capable in the field, but then also really knowledgeable and scholarly and knows his stuff. Like, I think the character of Indiana Jones doesn't work if he doesn't have that second part, right? I think that's a fundamental, the fact that he can figure out, find the things, you know, find where to where to dig when no one else is digging in the right place because he can figure, figure out the riddles or figure out the clues um, is, is I think really essential. Otherwise he might just be kind of like a run of the mill action hero. Right. But the fact that he's kind of has these two sides to him, I think is really cool. What about you, Greg? Uh, yeah, I was going to agree with that and, and say part of how I read that today is like, I don't think anybody else could play this role, right? And I think look at all the failed Im- imitators of the last, you know, 30 years and see that nobody quite can balance that the way Harrison Ford can can balance those two sides. Like, you believe him throwing a punch on Pat Roach uh, or some other stuntman under an airplane or on a mine cart or what have you. And you believe him in the classroom. And, you know, I, the only one who gives me a moment's pause is like, maybe Chris Pine is getting there as he's kind of aged up a little bit, like, and he's got his kind of, I shop at bookstores, uh, internet persona. Uh, It's like, Oh, maybe he's going to be the, the one who could do that. But, um, uh, yeah, I, Absolutely have always thought, you know, this is probably my favorite fictional character of all time. There's just a richness and a depth to him. And, um, you know, part of it is that he always feels like he cares so much about the objects and the history and putting it in a museum, but he doesn't actually want to be out doing this. It's kind of like he's like, I have to be the one, right? And um, actually, my brother-in-law pointed out to me one time, 
that what he always loves in every Indiana Jones mo- movie is there's always a moment where Indy proves he's the smartest and that's his superpower, mm-hmm. right? He can figure out the puzzle. He can take the clue. He can piece this together in a way that nobody else can. And, you know, we'll, we'll talk about each of these movies, I'm sure in great detail, but that to me screams the map room, right? Like he figured it out. He got both sides of the the medallion and, you know, you hear the music just thinking about it. And it's so wonderful that, that's the brand of hero that Lucas and Spielberg brought into this. Right. And I think it says everything that when, you know, this tale about how Spielberg wanted to do James Bond and uh, Lucas says, I have something better, mm-hmm. the better that they both seem to agree on is like, yeah, but what if it's like nerdy James Bond? <laughs> and, uh, and that totally fits with what we know about the two of them and is opens up this great realm of possibility. And, you know, um, I love every time he pops up. I love, you know, the video games, the books, all these uh, things. Uh, there's, there's been many attempts at comics and they don't stick, but should because it all seems to fit. But, um, you know, I think there's such a rich uh, set of stories available to you when you draw into mythology, into the supernatural, just a little. Right. It's always just a dip in, in to, to give you a little taste of it. And so um, that just especially to, you know, a young kid. I, in my watch through of these movies, my son uh, joined me for the first time and loved them. He he would put Crystal Skull number one on his list, which is why he's safely in bed and not here on the podcast. Uh, and uh, so you say that's he, why he's at an orphanage. Uh, he's been yeah, he's been yeah. baby safe haven <laughs> at a nearby firehouse. Um, and it, it it's just like there's something timeless about it. And that all came from sitting in um, the stunt spectacular being like, wait, dad, who is this? Like, is, is this something that isn't just a dad thing? And, you know, I think we're all about to find out whether it's just a dad thing or dads dragging their kids. No, no offense to the the female fans, of course, but um, is it going to be a middle-aged people thing or, or are people going to come back? I think is a real coin toss at, at this particular moment as we sit on the precipice. But um but uh, I will always love this character. And, um, you know, as much as I love Star Wars, most Saturday afternoons, if I'm in the house by myself, I don't probably rather throw on one of the indie movies. And um, as PT said, you can kind of just jump on for 20 minutes anywhere and not be disappointed. And back when television existed, that's what we all used to do endlessly. Mm-hmm. They were always on cable and TBS and all those places. When I, I was trying to do my recent rewatch sometimes I would have to go do something else and so I was like well it's better if I listen to the movie or part of the movie instead of not finishing the rewatch right that's like that that was my my logic I wouldn't have preferred to do it that way but I think just life got in the way but what I realized was there were huge stretches where there's no talking Mm -hmm. in so many of these movies and you know when I would sit back down and kind of tune back in I would realize that there's something really special about how how action is a visual language in these films and how like the action itself has kind of a personality and a sense of humor and a point of view. And there's like even something as simple as like Indy reaching to grab his hat right as the thing's closing or something mm-hmm. like you know, it, like there are little touches like that that don't need to be there, but that make all the difference in terms of like mm. how engaging it is and yeah just like like a visual sense of humor i feel like especially on this rewatch i noticed that the most where i was like oh the idea that 
he's standing there being like, thanks. I'm not going to remember the villain's name at the beginning of Temple of Doom. The guy, the guy's name on the plane. He's like, thanks. Lashay. So-and-so. Lashay. Thank Lashay. you. Thank you. <laughs> um, I knew, I knew it was going to get <laughs> jumped over that. Um, but he's like, you know, better luck next time. Or like, nice try. Right. And then like the Nate, like the guy's name is on the plane right behind him. Like, so like, there's like, I, it's, it's, has such a great sense of humor and wit to it, even at the visual level. Yeah, I, I think that that's a lot of credit to Spielberg, um, <clears throat> especially in those original '80s movies, um, for how you know how how much he was going for it, and how it really it showed how like it's easy to write him off, or I see people writing him off as like eh, he just kind of knows how to like tap into your emotions he you know it's it's very pandering pablum blah 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 um but it's just like he he's so technically proficient at like letting you always know where everything is and and how the movement is flowing within a scene and in these these action scenes he does you're never confused about what's going on there's you know there's planes there's boats there's there's trucks and cars uh, and people and horses and all this moving around. And you're always just like, yeah, I know where everybody is. Like, I know the full mm-hmm. geography of it. Uh, I can follow what's happening and I, we can dip in and out. There can be a bunch of really like quick cuts um, in an action scene. There can be these like subtle wonders that go on for like, you know, minute, minute and a half, two minutes um, following the characters, following what they're doing. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's really, really strong work. And, you know, it's, it's whatever, like, does, is Steven Spielberg underrated? No, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's worthy of, uh, of noting it. And, you know, to, to go to another one of the sort of big three creatives uh, historically of it, I, I think that um, what Greg was saying earlier um, of like, oh, there, you know, there's been attempts at comics, but like, haven't really, you know, picked up. There, there's been books, but the books have never been like, you know, like taken off the way that that like Star Trek, Star Wars books have, um, which maybe is you know, adventure versus sci-fi, perhaps. But uh, you know, I do think there's something about it being Harrison Ford, uh, like. Mm. Because uh, I did throw it in the Google Doc after we started, like somewhere later on, of like, are we going to talk about the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles? Like, are we going to like <laughs> discuss it? I don't know if we have to because I, and I watched a bunch of them because I was like, I love Indiana Jones, and like they never really stuck. And I feel like part of it is just that there is something about it being Harrison Ford. And when there was talk at one point, I mean, obviously in Crystal Skull, there was like kind of. On a like pseudo backdoor attempt of like, what if it was a Mutt Williams story now, and we just followed you know new star Shia LaBeouf, or it'll be Chris Pratt, or it'll be Bradley Cooper who will take over uh, in the role, and it's sort of like no, like we don't want that, like that's not going to work, like it's so tied to Harrison Ford that like almost no other attempts to carry the character forward, um, you know, work because he's not there, except maybe those old video games where you didn't expect to hear a voice or, you know, see more mm. beyond some pixels in a LucasArts game or like the Temple of Doom arcade game in which I lost a lot of quarters and never got more than like, <laughs> you know, maybe like 50 seconds into. But, um, but yeah, I, you know, so I think that it's difficult to understate how important both, both of them are. And obviously Lucas as well for being the story engine behind it all. So this is the second time this has come up now, the Harrison Ford factor Let's get more specific. Like, what do both of you think is the secret sauce of Har- the Harrison Ford performance for this character? 
Like, why is it that he's the only one that seems to be able to play it? Uh, he's a total dreamboat, uh, <laughs> number one. And I'm glad I'm not the tell... one saying that. Yeah. <laughs> Handsome man. Handsome man. I, well, and clearly I'm a, a gay man from the 50s or maybe just a woman from the 50s that I'm, I'm going with dreamboat, uh, not uh, something more modern. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I think... <sighs> It is really hard to pinpoint what it is. It seems to me to be a whole lot of charisma. I mean, whoever he's engaged with in these movies, he you feel that relationship fully, right? Like, um, you know, Marion when it's complicated and Marion when it's not complicated anymore, um, you know, Marcus. And, you know, even in Raiders where you get just a little Marcus, it's like, oh, they've been friends forever and they're taking care of each other. Um, and I think some of that, you know, comes through in Crystal Skull where they, for various production reasons, have to slot in a bunch of new people, right? Mm-hmm. Denim Elliott had passed. So you're like, here's Jim Broadbent. And it's like, totally believe that they are old friends, even though like, I've never heard of this character before. And he is clearly just here because Sean Connery said, no, I'm retired. Um, so <laughs> I, you know, I, I think it, it has to be part of his magic is that he can, he can do that. I also, um, I think, and this is like, so not true, but he is the kind of movie star that is like, attainable good looks and i i would compare him to everybody think about kumail getting so ripped for eternals for no reason right but Mm -hmm. like all of the marvel heroes that's what their bodies look like and harrison ford is in insanely good shape and a shape i will never see in my life and yet i look at him and i'm like I could get there. I could get there. And, you know, I think this is, uh, I was just listening to a podcast, really tricky, uh, stumbling on why Jennifer Lawrence is not Margot Robbie to basically be like, you know, she's like a girl you could actually date, not a manufactured in a factory uh, prototype, you know, ideal human. And um, I feel like that's kind of how Harrison Ford kind of feels to me. He just has enough of an everyman quality that, you know, if, if it's, the most cliche thing in the world, right? Women want him and men want to be him. But it's like, I could be him. I can't be Captain America. I could be Indiana Jones if I worked a little harder. And I will not. I, I, Greg, I think ultimately you're right, even though isolated on its own. Well, Harrison Ford is just not that attractive. Like, he's attainably <laughs> attractive. You know, he's you, you, you could get him. You could bag him. Um, is, a, is an insane statement. But, but yeah, I do think there's something like that feels real about him in a way that like superhero people don't um like he seems like uh he he's good at portraying someone who like has to go and grade papers or like goes to the grocery store and and buys things to come home like you can see a life outside of what happens even in his crazy adventures um which i think is sort of uh, you know that that everyman quality, or at least that sort of like it just feels like a a, a lived in person quality. I I also feel like I, I I this is I just thought of this while we were talking about it, so I don't know if this is a thought I could fully support and back up. Um, that there's sort of like an underlying frustration with Indiana Jones, like almost all the time, that like mm-hmm. something isn't going right, and like he should have figured this out, or like he could have solved it. Um, and maybe that's because 
the last thing I watched was the first half of Raiders of the Lost Ark. But when Brody comes in and he's finished the class and he's like, I had it in my hands. Like, I just need like a little bit more time. And it's always this kind of just like, look, we could do this. We could figure this out. Like I can, you know, something went wrong. Like I can fix it. I can solve it. I can do this. Um, and, you know, the pretty famous line of what he's sort of like, okay, like you go get this. I'm going to follow uh, the truck. Da, da, da. He's like, what are you going to like? What are you going to do? And he goes, I don't know. I'm making I'm it up making as I go it along. <laughs> it, it feels like that's true. Like it feels like he's someone who is just like has a drive for, you know, to do the thing that well, whatever the thing is that, that, that he's trying to do, which is, um, generally uh, uh at least presented in the movie as noble um of like i want to go find these artifacts and 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 you know obtain them and keep them safe um uh that like you know that's you know that's a good thing or i want to you know i want to like save someone protect them uh if they're in danger that you know it's it's he's he wants to do that he's driven to do that he's frustrated he hasn't already done it and i think that like that's all kind of roiling in there in a way that I don't know, somehow Harrison Ford's really good at that. And there's, you know, there's like the banter, there's the, that rapport, the charm that Craig was talking about with all the other people. Um, but I think that like, he has like, he, he really just understands the spark. I think there's a reason that Han Solo was always just sort of like some sort of a mask he put on. Whereas he would like, Harrison Ford has always been like, this is a character I love and I love Indiana mm-hmm. Jones. And I think it just makes sense to him. First of all, I reject all of these like backhanded compliments that Greg's giving <laughs> to Harrison Ford. I reject I feel that Greg like... could attain Harrison Ford like qualities. <laughs> I not... hear you. I hear you. You just need one chin scar and you're good yeah, to go. Yeah. No, because like as I was rewatching these movies, there are some shots where I'm like, there no amount of dirt is gonna make this man look bad. You know what I mean? Like it's mm. just and there's like a glow and it's just it so I don't know. I have a hard time getting on with the every i understand what you're saying i follow your argument but i just in terms of my visceral experience watching these movies <laughs> it does not align <laughs> with what i've experienced um the way you hit visceral there really concerns me but okay continue <laughs> um but i feel like for me it's the lovable jerk factor mm. that he really sells well in a way that a lot of other actors probably couldn't they'd either be actually a jerk or not enough of a jerk like he's hitting the sweet spot of like you know and and we we like it because he's like obsessed with his craft essentially right like he's like i'm gonna like it's the the biggest thing when i rewatched raiders and temple of doom i was like he there's time and time again he's like high female uh romantic interest slash adventure partner I'm going to actively choose to not help you because it will benefit my quest for the object or like the next thing I'm trying to do or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Right. Like Marion, he, he like ties her back up literally and is like, Oh, just stay here. Sit tight. It's fine. And, like, and then like with Willie Scott, he's like, Oh no, you can like, uh, like he's just throwing her under the bus constantly. And, and I feel like the fact that I tolerate that and I actually, like, it's endearing. I feel like is only something certain act like a certain type of actor could, mm-hmm. could pull off, you know what I mean? And not make him like, like a, you know, unlikable scoundrel. Mm-hmm. I, I think the, the, the historic sort of period setting of the movie, both like sort of the actual time it's set, but the hearkening back to that sort of your know, older style of filmmaking benefits too. Like I, 
I, I don't know if that's something that is is you know everyone sort of consciously feels that way, but there is some idea of sort of like yeah, I mean maybe he's being a little mean uh, to these ladies, but. It was 1930, you know, six. What are you going to do? Um, like that's that's how things go. So I, I do think there's uh, again. I don't think they were like, okay, let's set it in the 30s so he can he can you know, be a little bit meaner to the women. Um, but I, I I think that like now makes it feel less like uh like like squishy um, than than it may have otherwise. Plus Harrison Ford, he's super charming. It's like, okay, yeah, he can he can tie you back up sometimes. Like that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So I think we're ready to move on to do you feel like we've already talked about what's the hallmark of an Indiana Jones film? Like what are the kind of key key ingredients? I mean, yeah, we did. I, I, I mean, there's this a kind of set of not very interesting. Like, you need a chase scene, you need a MacGuffin, you need uh, that, and I, I don't think we uh, will insult our our listeners by necessarily reciting those kind of simple things. But you know, in terms of uh, filmmaking, uh, we haven't shouted out John Williams, which um, again, uh, another key ingredient in this. I got in a heated debate in my car the other day because my seven-year-old suggested that the greatest theme song of all time was the Bluey theme song. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. It is the Indiana Jones theme song, uh, bar none, period, end of story. Uh, And this went on for like 10 miles. Uh, So Baby uh, safe haven. (laughs) <laughs> it's not too late. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, I think uh, that having a rousing score helps so many of these, you know, uh, fans on the Internet like to rip the John Williams out of, of films and be like, look, the music matters. And that's a simplistic point, but it really does like change it. Right. Like when Indy, you know, turns around a fight and you hear the music swell, it's like, oh, my God, like this is what I live for. Um and then I, I also just want to know, you know, when Crystal Skull was coming out, Spielberg talked a lot about how he had to relearn how to make these movies because it isn't mm. like uh, just a normal movie. Like it's got its own language. And yes, some of Spielberg's tricks are are through there. Um, so two ones I would shout out um, just way over the top sound design. Like yeah. I want to hear an Indiana Jones punch. If I show up tomorrow night and I don't hear the like man Stop. hitting a ham against yeah. the wall sound, like so I'm right. going to be bummed out and the whip crack and you know, that everything is, is, is dialed up uh, that high. Um, and I was also really struck this uh, watch through, obviously Spielberg plays with light a lot, but the way he plays with light and shadow in these, I think is separate from his kind of standard filmmaking tricks. Um, you know, the classic one that stands out to me is um, Indy walking into Marion's bar, right? And you get this visual representation. Marion has lived the last 10 years desperate to escape from the shadow of their relationship and whatever happened between them, which could be really, really bad. Um, and yet here he is bigger than life there. And um, that scene goes on. It's a great bar fight just in general, but there's two or three shadow jokes there kind of in this play of, you know, tote has a similar shadow and, and so on. And, and I think they replicated that uh, a bit in uh crystal skull, uh, you know, where, 
um, when they pull rumpled Harrison Ford out of the trunk. Uh, and um, this was in the trailer. He picks the hat and you see the silhouette and you're just like, yeah, I'm back. Like we're, we're back in this and you know, uh, results may vary, but we, we were back in it and that was, that was a part of it. So, um, so I would just say, you know, in terms of filmmaking, um, those are two that I think have to be kind of, present and i'm interested to see if mangled i'm sure the sound won't be a problem but i'm interested to see if he plays within similar ways because he's a filmmaker with his own sensibilities um and i think there are going to be portions of this movie where he is really uh imitating spielberg and portions where he's trying to do his own thing mm-hmm. uh yeah i think those are all really great points i will uh only uh, uh add on to those to say if for those people who haven't I do highly recommend if you're able to see uh, any or all of these movies in a, in a theater um, because mm-hmm. the sound and the score uh, really hit extra hard uh, in, in that context. And it is, yeah, everything is really heightened and, and it's interesting because, you know, uh, there's the, the, you know, John Williams has different approaches for different movies, but it really isn't that different than Star Wars with the sort of, we've got different themes for different characters. There's a lot of the, the light motifs are happening and uh, the way he sort of holds back sometimes and like lets, especially action scenes play out in silence. And then the music kicks in when the, the, the tension or the release is, is, uh, uh, is popping up. So there is, um, you know, there is something there, but it's it's very unique. It's unique to the characters. It's unique to the world. Um, and uh, and it works really well. Uh, and I'll also just say that, yeah, there's something like remarkable about how you can, you, you and you, and people should go and watch Raiders of the Lost Ark like all the time. And when you do be like, oh, there's some of these moments where it's like the silhouette or, or, you know, just sort of like him in shadows or, or just the outline of him. And it's just sort of like, yeah, it's, it's Indiana Jones iconography. You, you can see the whip on his side a bunch of times, but the hat um, and, the, and the jacket. But like that didn't exist. Like they just were creating it at the time. But like you could, you could watch Razor Lost Ark and be forgiven to think that like, yeah, this must be like the sixth or seventh movie where they're just like hitting the, um, you know, the things that everybody loves about it but it's just like no like it's it's there so it'll be interesting to see like in in what i'm sure we'll discuss in a later segment like the balance of telling a unique story versus playing off the audience's nostalgia uh in dial of destiny um you know how much are they just going to be like remember the hat like remember the whip remember Mm -hmm. the jacket um or you know do some different things with it um but also like how different do you want it to be because it's still it's indiana jones like i don't want like i don't want the hat to get like you know burned or anything like you know Mm -hmm. so so yeah i think that um these are all elements that are uh that are crucial i also think that like the only thing i'll add is some sort of like uh, diversity is certainly not the right word, but some sort of like villain hierarchy with different types of bad guys that are around, like some sort of tough guy, uh, big, some big tough guys that get fought, some sort of like uh, mean kind of middle manager or like, you know, soldier, uh, uh, you know, colonel, general type, uh, and then some overarching uh, person who is like much more a kind of like one-on-one uh, like sort of shadow version of who Indiana Jones could be, um, which, uh, you know, I, I think is, is, you know, not always exactly there, but is, is kind of around in, uh, in all of those, all the movies that we have so far. I have a couple of quick add-ons and then I think we should get to our rankings. Cause I think that's the, 
it's going to bring out so much more once we get more specific into individual movies. But the John Williams score, I think when I think about it in comparison to other John Williams scores, the indie one ones have add so much verve, like almost like pep. Like there's an energy to them that I feel like we don't necessarily get. And then the other thing too, is that there's big sweeping kind of romantic old Hollywood vibes mm-hmm. to the, to the, the scores in a way that like makes everything you're watching seem that much more like grand, much grander in a Hollywood sense. You know what I mean? Like I, and the other association, not to go back to Disney world again, <laughs> but like <laughs> the, uh, in the, I don't even know if they still have it there anymore. Cause I haven't actually been to Disney world in forever, but the 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 ride that's like into the movies ride oh, i don't no, remember what that's gone no no gone. what yeah the one inside the chinese that's... theater yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 that was great uh that makes me sad yeah. with the wizard of well so so it's a, had a bunch of classic hollywood movies like wizard of oz and then it ended with like i want to say alien right like there's like a part where it's like yeah, uh, Alien, Singing in the Rain, yes. uh, Raiders. It was yeah, it was a a lot of kind of classic Hollywood films. It was a it was a fantastic ride, but yeah, it's been replaced. But I feel like there's an association with sort of like golden age of Hollywood that that mm. the Indian films for me are a part of too. Um, but yeah. Well, and to your point, if if you watch the Oscars and if they start with a you know aren't movies great montage, you almost always see Indiana Jones. Like to this yeah. day, like even in the long dormant periods, and you know it's it's present in the culture, though, uh, very much the way Star Wars is. But you know, I, again, I'll show my age. I I watched Muppet Babies all the time, and it was every every episode you saw the little clip of Raiders in the opening credits, and you're like, I hope it's the one where they're Indiana Jones this time, and maybe mm-hmm. you got lucky, and maybe you didn't. Um, and uh, there's a fantastic Simpsons opening where Bart steals a jar of change, and Homer becomes the boulder as he trips down the stairs and almost crushes Bart, and <laughs> things like that. Um, and so I think you know, again, I, I I don't know if all of that applies as well to the last ten years as it does to like the 90s into the early 2000s but but i do think like that kind of ever presence makes it feel like yep this is just culture this is just a part of who we are and this is what we create in this country we used to be a country yeah (laughs) we used to build things uh if we're talking briefly uh or just glancingly about uh india jones parodies I've got to mention the opening of Weird Al Yankovic's UHF, uh, which is just a, a straight up parody of the Raiders of the Lost Ark opening, which, amongst other things, ends with the boulder uh, breaking through the wall and just chasing him across the world back to Los Angeles, <laughs> which is great. <laughs> I'd forgotten about that one. Uh, okay, so I think we're ready to rank all of the Indiana Jones, obviously, minus Dally of Destiny because we haven't seen it yet. So I think what we'll do is because this worked out well with our Wes Anderson top five, I think we'll start at the bottom and then kind of slowly reveal our way up. We'll take turns. So if you, if someone else mentions a movie, although I feel like our lists for this are actually going to be, I'm going to guess are going to be a little bit more similar. We had a nice, nice variety with our Wes Anderson lists, um, which you haven't listened to that. You should go check that out. If you like Wes Anderson, but I feel, but we might be have more overlap with this. I'm just gonna guess, but we'll see. So, PT, why don't you go first? Okay. Um, so, perhaps unsurprisingly, coming in at number four is Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Uh, 
I mean, I have lots of things I want to say about this movie, um, but uh, I'll, I'll try to not get them all in all at once. But uh, full disclosure, I did not rewatch this one yet. Uh, th- that's maybe Friday night is when we'll rewatch it, um, which is uh, is partly to help recalibrate expectations for Saturday um, for seeing Dial of Destiny. Um, but you know, there, there's things to like in this movie. Uh, I think Harrison Ford's great. Uh, and is is doing uh, a heck of a job. Um, I think that what uh, I do remember that quote that Greg said uh, mentioned earlier was Spielberg was like, "I have to relearn how to direct these," and I I don't know if he did. Uh, like I think that it doesn't quite fully sort of match up. He has a different cinematographer too, or maybe it's the same cinematographer, but he's doing a lot of like two thousand Spielberg sheen on the cinematography that isn't capturing um the 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 visuals and that old school uh uh cinematography iconography um that jen has been talking about um and look here's my central like sort of i guess thesis about the problem of kingdom of the crystal skull uh is you can go uh, i i have been trying to but i guess you can't easily find all of them now you used to be able to easily find all of them there were three different drafts three different screenplays Mm. that went through multiple drafts that were three different stories that were designed to potentially be the fourth indiana jones movie starting in uh the late 90s um i'm I'm looking right now at the raider.net which is an indiana jones fan site um that may not have been updated since uh 2010 but that's fine um but it has a, a breakdown of uh, sort of, you know, where where stories came from. Uh, it includes the first draft of Back to the Future, um, which is where the refrigerator comes from. Um, the 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 instead of a DeLorean, the time machine in Back to the Future was a refrigerator that needed uh, the power of a nuclear blast, um, and that got picked up and uh, uh, brought in later by Spielberg, who remembered it from it not being feasible in the in, for Back to the Future. Um, but there was uh, in the mid nineties. So soon, pretty soon after, like five or six years after Last Crusade, there was uh, Indiana Jones and the Saucer Men from Mars, uh, which got uh, worked on for a while, worked from 93 to 96. Um, then they got put aside. Frank Darabont came in, uh, who had done, uh, obviously, Shawshank Redemption and The Green Mile. He had, uh, I think, broken in on Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. Uh, so uh, he was brought in with a new sort of story conference from the three people involved, three main creatives, Lucas, Spielberg, and Ford. Um, and they worked from 2000 to 2004 on Indiana Jones and the and the City of the Gods, or the Phantom City of the Gods. Uh, and that didn't pan out. And then for, um, in 2005 or, or sort of uh, mid-2004 to 2005, there was another story called Indiana Jones and the Atomic Ants. And the, the I, I cannot recall my sourcing You did on this. just say ants as in the insects. Correct. Not the atomic ants. <laughs> like like uh, 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 parents, uh, sisters. Um, atomic ants. Um, so, so, you know, and then the, the crystal skull is written by David Kep, who had written, I think Jurassic Park. I know he wrote War of the Worlds for Spielberg. And the, the, the story I remember reading at the time, uh, or soon after crystal skull came out was that, uh, basically they, they, they developed these three different movies and they got to the point where like they had fourth, fifth, sixth drafts of, of, uh, of each of them. Uh, and they got to the point where it was a sort of like, okay, this is essentially ready to shoot. The, the, the three, you know, uh, George Lucas, Steven Spielberg, Harrison Ford had agreed, I think just, you know, just a gentleman's agreement that they all had a right to veto 
any Indiana Jones project. And that each time it got to the point of this is it, the script's written, ready to go. Two of them liked it and one of them didn't. And it was a different person each time who didn't like it. And so it was like, I don't know which one's which, but like basically one of them was like, no, this isn't really it. I don't know. It's not working. So the after the third one kind of fell through, they gave the three screenplays to David Kep and said, "This is these are the movies we've been working on. These are the things that we liked about them. And these are the things that were causing the veto that we didn't like. Please make one movie out of this. And if you watch... Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, that's it. It looks totally like that's what, what happened. Cause it's just sort of like, oh yeah, there's like kind of a movie that's about like communism and the Red Scare. There's kind of a movie that's about Indiana Jones's like World War II, like people and how the, there's like a fallout from that. And there's kind of a movie that's about aliens and, um, you know, like that he, he finds out that there's actually aliens and there's you know, ancient aliens have been around for a while. Um, so like there's each of those, but like none of those are really fully there and not totally fleshed out. And it's just ultimately very unsatisfying because, you know, they're trying to make this generational, you know, we had the last movie was Indy and his dad. Now it's Indy and his son. And we're trying to make that happen, but the story doesn't fully come together. Mm-hmm. Um, Kate Blanchett is innocent uh, and the aliens did nothing wrong. Um, I, I think the choice of having it be aliens in the movie is great. I have no problem with that. It's just that the the story never actually got finished. It just got to the point where no one wanted to say no anymore. The aliens were the main sticking point for a lot of people who did not like it yeah. at all, right? Yeah. Wasn't that the major not- complaint? Yeah, well, I think there were, I think people who had not been uh, tracking the fourth Indiana Jones movie on the internet for a dozen years, like I had, um, were very surprised that there were aliens in the last 20 minutes of the movie, whereas mm-hmm. I had known about that since like 1998, because I had been looking to see like what could a fourth Indiana Jones movie be, and the screenplay leaked, um, you know, back in the 90s, so... Uh, yeah, there are people who didn't like that. I think it's fine. I think it totally could have worked. I like, you know, moving from a th- the, the original trilogy being in the 30s and therefore being kind of uh, a King Solomon's Mines and, and you know, World War II background, uh, pre-World War II background stuff into 50s Red Scare uh, sci-fi uh, stories tracks. Like, that's fine. But I think if the rest of the movie had been stronger, people would have gotten on board with the aliens, but there was enough kind of like already sort of like just sort of sinking around the movie that once aliens came up, people were just like, Nope, I don't like it. I'm out. Greg, you went to go get a book. So what's what did. You got? Uh, yeah. So I grabbed uh, J.W. Rinsler, uh, who recently passed oh. away, did a making of in- Indiana Jones in the style of the making of the original Star Wars trilogy that he did for Lucasfilm. And I I just was tracking. Yeah, they actually and, and they're pretty upfront about it. They have a whole chapter called The Atomic Ants from Space that tracks basically everything P.T. did. So I grabbed it not to fact check, but just to support you. <laughs> I have nothing to correct from that narrative. I mean, everything you said, all the names are correct, and those are mostly in the right order the one i couldn't find is there's also indiana jones and the monkey king which was a plot point in one of them and then that like became the title for a little while and then they were like no maybe not that was a chris columbus draft for the third movie that was written Uh, after temple of doom but they pulled some of the monkey stuff uh from that into crystal skull yeah yeah uh so uh great great dive on history this is i mean again probably unsurprisingly this is also my number fourth and my thesis uh you actually almost covered uh together just a second ago which is 
people on the internet dislike this for the wrong reasons, right? You hear about the fridge, you hear about um, the the aliens, as you all were just talking about, and they're like, it's totally unbelievable. And you know, again, uh, with apologies to talking behind my wife's back she walked through happened to walk through the room when henry and i were watching it and she got to the part you know the very dramatic shot of the lead lined fridge uh label as he shuts the door and she's like yeah because that's gonna work and i i feel like so much of the audience was like her they just checked out at that moment right and and you know it's dumb do you know what else is dumb jumping out of a plane in a raft right like there these movies are full of things and you know I, again we we've been joking about my son but like when you're eight years old you don't care right and i don't think any of us cared in temple of doom it was like yeah that probably wouldn't work that seems kind of silly but you know it's there or uh you know the i now i'm just picking on temple of doom but the who built mind tracks why why mm-hmm. are you over in your mind cart like are you really moving gems through there is that what you're doing um so uh you know i think there is a way in which these these movies demand you to just suspend your disbelief and be like i'm in a fantasy world right and um and and maybe um i think shia labeouf was having kind of an implosion at that point and so you know like my schoolyard friends who were like Titanic sucks because Leonardo DiCaprio is the worst. And it's like, you just want to be Leonardo DiCaprio. There was a little of that too. It was like, uh, you know, blaming Shia LaBeouf for this. And you can't ever blame the failure of a movie on a single performer. Right. And, and certainly the material they're given makes all the difference. But, um, you know, on the rewatch, with another decade between us, God, another 15 years between us and when that movie came out, um, it really just feels like this is just another Indiana Jones movie in a lot of ways. And, and I mean that as a compliment, like, yeah, it's different. And yeah, there's CG gophers, but like, you know, they always play with things and do. I mean, th- my son has less of a problem with the CG gophers than he did with Donovan's face melting that he was like, that's dumb. And I'm like, yeah, it, it does look kind of dumb today. Right. There it is. Oh. <laughs> um, so, uh, so that being said, I do think the primary problem I have with, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is a lot of what PT alluded to, which is just the story doesn't cohere in a useful way. And to me, the symbol of that is Mac, uh, Indy's best friend. That could be a really cool character. Like, oh, you were spies together during World War II? That sounds awesome. Let's learn more about that. And that character never makes a moment of sense. And he's always switching sides and he's, uh, you know, it just doesn't work. And it's it's a contrivance of plot and stringing together kind of action sequences they were imagining. Um, so, so that's enough ragging on it. There's still a lot of fun in it. And, you know, I my my thesis in 2009 was like the first 20 minutes rock. And I stand by that. But there's a lot of good later in the movie. Uh, you know, the ant sequence, maybe some dodgy CG, but it's a really fun sequence of, uh, you know, Kate Blanchett squishing a bug between her knees where the <laughs> goop sprays the camera. It's like, what what else do you want? Right. What else do you want in one of these? Uh, and I will give it a lot of credit. Um, I think, you know, with apologies, sometimes Karen Allen, I think, had been out of the game too long and struggled a little bit. But the idea of bringing Marion back and making it that Marion and Indy were together, you know, um, not one of her finest acting moments, but when um, 
he says there were a lot of others and she's like, well, what was the matter with them? And she said, he says, none of them were you. And she melts. And like, I melt every time. It's like, you're damn right. Like Elsa's no Marion. And you know, Willie isn't either, but that would have been before Marion, blah, 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 or between Marion anyway. Um, so uh, the idea that Marion is the one he ended up with, I'm really curious to see what they do with that. But, um, you know, it seems uh, it's really great. And the idea of the sun is 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 great. Um, I think in some of those treatments PT mentioned, it was a daughter. And maybe we're, now we're getting a course correction because I think a daughter is much more interesting to pair up. But Shia LaBeouf is woke Disney uh, back in 19, back in 2002, blowing up Indiana Jones. My favorite is the, the fan bros who are like, Oh, Kathleen Kennedy's involved in the new indie. I'm out. It's like, uh, check those credits, bud. Uh, go all the way back to Raiders of the lost Ark and you will find her name. Uh, so, um, so yeah, I, I am excited to see, uh, what they do with it and, and, you know, not to get into spoiler territory whatsoever. I haven't read spoilers, but I've heard a lot of kind of fans say they didn't ignore it. Whereas, you know, people felt force awakens pretended the prequels didn't exist. And I think that's a fair, uh, argument, but it's like, no, this, this is the fifth movie. And I, I think when, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull loses that pressure of being the last time we ever will see Indy. I think it's going to feel better while still being a little flawed, but a, a solid number four, but a gift that we got it and we wouldn't be where we are tonight without that fourth one. So I'm, I'm glad it's in the mix. No, for sure. For sure. This was also my number four though. I feel like, and we're going to get to this in a second, probably it was closer than i thought it would be for the number like like my number three and my number four i'm just like ooh, like i don't really know now um but i i i agree with what pt said a while back with where on paper the premise of this should work where the idea of like oh we're moving from one pulp era of pulp to another right we're going from the world war world war ii to the atomic age and and that the aliens come with that like that made that shift to me in theory, makes a lot of sense. But when I was rewatching it this time around, there's something about, and it's especially interesting having watched the Fablemans as well, but like mm-hmm. the representation of the 50s in this movie is so weird because, it, and like, and I think that's part for me, or at least this time around, that's part of what was like off about it because, first of all, the Shia Blue Wolf character, Mutt, right? is like it's like steven spielberg watched the outsiders too many times like he's like he's like this the every stereotype extreme of like the greaser kind of tough guy from that era right and down to the the switch knife the switchblade or whatever um and he's like he's combing his hair and stuff like so i feel like that was like i think he kind of had no chance because of the way Mm -hmm. his character was designed in that way um that he was always going to be kind of ridiculous and not I, i have hard for me to take seriously uh, but then even just that opening scene where you have like the crazy teenagers going for a joyride and then the soldiers. And I was like, oh, Spielberg had a lot to say here about like the era mm. that he <laughs> grew up in, was born in. Um, I don't know. I don't, the timeline is is hazy. But like if you go watch the Fablemans, it's like, oh, like clearly this is there's something deep in him about this, his childhood in this era that he kind of like wanted to represent. But at the same time, I'm like oh, this is why he wanted to make musicals because it's this is basically Greece. Like, mm. 
So, um, so there's a lot of that, but I totally agree that like certain lines in this made me cackle, like where, where Mutt's like, and you're a teacher. And he's like, -like. (laughs) part-time. Great line. So gets me. Great trailer line Um, too. Yeah. 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 And there's, and, and like how he's kind of trying to give like, He's without knowing it's his son trying to give fatherly advice. Like, are you sure that's what you want to do with your life? Like, like all that stuff I thought was good. Um, but yeah, I think I, I like PT's rundown of the, the structural issues. I think that that's probably why this doesn't hold up even now. Like yeah. it's, it's a fun watch and a good adventure, but like as a film, like it's not, doesn't stand up to some of the other ones we're going to talk about. And I, I do want to be clear. I haven't read them for you know uh, over ten years, um, but I did read the other screenplays that you know, were available online. None of them really worked. Like I get why they didn't film them, um, but I mean, the Saucer Man from Mars. The third act is he's flying. Indiana Jones is flying a flying saucer. And like in a space battle with aliens, it's like if if the people didn't like Crystal Skull, they would have lost their minds. Um, (laughs) But uh, but the like the you know so yeah again I get why they didn't do it, but there's just like all these little like threads that are are felt feel a little undercooked or underexplored. um, Get do get like pulled a little bit more, and it's just sort of like oh it's like it's so close, like it feels like. you know, it maybe like it's weird because it was like all the sort of scheduling with Ford and Spielberg. But like, if they'd only had even like another year, could they have like worked on the writing and figured out a way to to make it work? But yeah, I don't know. It didn't. It didn't fully work. Um, and I was just gonna co-sign everything Jen said about Spielberg and the Fablemans, and then just also George Lucas and American Graffiti. Right? I mm-hmm. think. I think this is Spielberg doing some American graffiti as a tribute to George. Shia LaBeouf had a lot of stories about like when learning to be a greaser, he just talked to George Lucas and old, old daddy Lucas would just like, be like, this is how we did it. And I remember a particular one where Shia LaBeouf was like, he was trying to figure out his comb prop and what he's supposed to do with the chrome. Uh, sorry, the comb. And uh, he showed it to Lucas and he's like, this is like a greaser's comb. Right. And George Lucas pulled out like the oldest, dingiest, bent uh, old <laughs> comb from his pocket and is like, this is a greaser's comb. And still, you know, think of his resplendent mane. I mean, George Lucas still has the kind of greaser quality to it. Um, and so I, I do think that's like Mutt is who Spielberg wanted to be when he was 16. And like all of us, that's like who we tell people we were in high school is who we actually wanted to be when we were 16. And so this this is kind of a little bit of wish fulfillment in that way as well um, as a part of that. Um, and, and I think you're right to say it, it doesn't quite work. Um, not the only Indiana Jones film that is way different after The Fablemans, but I'll save my comments for later. <laughs> yeah, you might not have to wait too long. Um, but... Uh, but that's true. I will also say, you know, I, I, I certainly will not use the phrase Shia LaBeouf is innocent. Um, but Shia LaBeouf is not like bad. And the degree to which Shia LaBeouf is annoying feels intentional. And that like his character just, again, like many other things in the movie, wasn't fully baked. And because there feels like there's some like it's clear that his sort of I'm Marlon Brando in the wild one, like persona is an act that the that the character is putting on and there's something more real underneath but like 
that like is sort of displayed, but not really. And it's because, you know, again, cause there's like 10 other threads, the movies following on. And it was like, if we just had more time with, with him, um, and I, I know very few people are like, well, why wasn't there more Shia um, in Crystal Skull? But I think that it, 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 you know, I think it would have been more successful if if they had been focused. My last Crystal Skull thought before I think we move on is in thinking ahead to Dial of Destiny. It's so interesting. And I'm, I'm really curious to see how this is going to play. Those two films are going to play next to each other because I feel like. They're, they've done the I'm old, this is my last ride. They already did it. You know what I mean? Like Crystal mm. Skull is framed as, you know, he's like, what are you, 80? And I'm like, well, Harrison Ford is 80 now. <laughs> In <laughs> that scene, you know what I mean? Like, like it's a, it was a joke about how old he was. Now he really is that old. And yet we're still kind of going through the same motion of like, he's still got it. So I think that's just mm. really interesting that we're just doing it again. But he's so much older. But so I was struck watching Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I can't believe I paused to say the whole name uh, that um, he Harrison seems to be playing older because if you watch him on shrinking, he is not like he's playing an old guy that he didn't become. And I don't know if that's him trying to figure out who Indiana Jones is as an old guy, but he seems way older in crystal skull than he does in shrinking. And some of the star Wars sequels, it's like, Oh, like, you know, I, I don't quite know how he missed there. If, if it is performance or maybe he just, you know, didn't care. Right. And maybe he thought some of this was a paycheck. All credit to him. I bet it was a really nice one. Um, bought a couple planes or paid off a couple golfers you hit with a plane. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think he couldn't quite find it. And shrinking is the thing in the last year that has made me think, I think we might be in for a good time or a better time for the, for this new one. Uh, close the crystal skull dis, uh, discussion with some uh, terrible speculation on my other podcast. My host makes me speculate because he knows whether I'm right or wrong and will make fun of me later for it. Uh, <laughs> so our listeners will probably know the answer to this. Uh, did Mutt die in Vietnam hmm. or the Korean war? Maybe the Korean war is a better question. Is Mutt still around? Is Mutt alive in dial of destiny? I think it would. Ha- well, I think, Crystal Skull's after the Korean War. So I think it would have to be yes, Vietnam. Maybe early Vietnam, Vietnam or something. See around? Or uh, a car accident or, you know, he was in the canals racing at the end of Greece and He he died on his way back to his home planet. <laughs> uh that's a good question. Yeah, will will he be will there be a Shia LaBeouf photo? Next mm. to Sean Connery and Denham Elliott on Indiana Jones's desk. <laughs> and he's just like, ah, really racking him up. And then they just move on. <laughs> Um, well, so does anyone know what actual what the specific year that Dial Destiny takes place in? Because the trailer implies that it's the seven early seventies, right? Yeah, I mean, the, yeah, the, uh, the music being based on the... the devil means it's at least should be at least sixty eight because I think that song came out in sixty eight. But I think I th- it is the early seventies. I think the parade is John Glenn's return, so that oh. that would be like sixty six, but. It, don't trust either my historical knowledge or my interpretation of those events yeah, quite correctly. Look where we're puzzling something out like Indywood. Yeah. <laughs> Where's the inscription? <laughs> so that that is pretty I mean Vietnam is in its throes by then, so it could be. 
So I wouldn't uh, like when it's, I was it's maybe, a little early for the real casualties of Vietnam. Right. But maybe he's like he's not in the, the way they rationalize. He's not in the movie is that he's shipped off to Vietnam. Mm. But we don't know if he's alive. Although he'd I, also be like late 20s, early 30s. Hey, right? man, your your card gets pulled. You got to go. <laughs> uh, that, that, that was the way. Uh, if it's John Glenn returned in 1962. So I feel like oh, that's too early. We were way off. Yeah. Um, but it could be if it's Neil Armstrong, if it's that return, you know, if it's if it's from you're coming it's back from the moon, moon landing. then that could be 69, you know, which would be mm-hmm. Wait, so Craig, um, you said that listeners might know the answer. Like, is there an answer? And you're just not telling us? Well, they uh, may have already seen I don't the know the answer. I'm sure the, I mean, all the critics have seen it. So I'm sure some reviews say oh, where, I see what you're saying. where it okay. is. But also I'm anticipating that people are perhaps listening to this after after they see Dial of Destiny. They've seen it. Oh, They've I used the Dial of Destiny and they're in the future. <laughs> so, all right. I think it's PT's number two. Number three. Number three. Number three. Uh, unlike Jen, this, this was not a difficult choice this was not mm. uh, a close gap between four and three um but it is similarly not a close gap between three and two it is indiana jones and the temple of doom uh which is the second indiana jones movie uh which yeah to to refer back to that uh uh <laughs> screening uh, where I, I saw all three of them uh in, in a theater a couple of years ago uh you know once once we you make the turn into the last act, this movie plays like gangbusters. Like it's just mm-hmm. my, you know, the, the, the fight in the, uh, with, with the kids, the mine cart, um, the waterfall, the rope bridge. It's just like hit after hit after hit um, of amazing action sequences. Almost all of which are like the B sides from the Raiders of the last Ark story session um, where they were just like, we had all this stuff we didn't do. Like, what if we built a movie around this? Um, and there's the you know, a bunch of other stuff that that is really interesting uh, about it. I I like that it made the sort of move away from we're going for a Judeo Christian artifact and we're going to go with uh, something from uh, a, a, another culture. Um, you know, there are some problems with it though. <laughs> um, and you, I, I, what I will say is. Uh, 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 two things, because uh, I'm sure we'll dig into it more. Um, one, uh, uh, I was I left. You know, we, we had a little break after each movie, and I finished Temple of Doom, and I was just thinking, man, that last act played like gangbusters. Uh, and again, to to bring her into the discussion uh, in absentia, um, but Jasmine was like, that movie's bad. Like that's not a good movie, <laughs> um, and for all the reasons that it, uh, uh, you know, we, we will discuss the problems of the movie. Um, but I will also say that there, you know, there is, uh, if uh, similar to our Star Wars discussion, um, I, I continue to exist uh, in the lurk in the forums of uh, places that talk about toys, which is a lot more um, sort of uh, retrograde, uh, middle-aged men, mostly white men, talking about these things, and they're like, well, "I can't believe everyone's now decided." that temple of doom is problematic or racist like this never was a problem there is a review in the christian science monitor from 1984 that is like holy crap this movie is super racist and sexist um (laughs) this is insane i can't believe steven spielberg did this so um you know maybe that was a lone voice in the wilderness but 
the, the problems are not a a retroactive uh, cancel culture problem. Like there's just there are core central problems. They 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 borrow too much from the like 1930s exoticism of mm. uh, foreign lands uh, and and uh, cross a few lines that you know if you grew up with it you can squint or you can close your eyes and look away. But like it, it, it's pretty bad. This is pretty bad stuff. So. Uh, but not, uh, you know, not so bad that it's worse than Crystal Skull. So here we go. Um, <laughs> that's my that's my number three. This is uh, my number three too. Is this your number three, Greg? Yeah, it's also my number three. Okay, <laughs> we can just we can just openly talk about it now. Yeah. Um, Greg, go ahead. Uh, I mean, I I remember distinctly after my first couple years of grad school watching this for the first time, and being like, oh, so this is Orientalism. Uh, I get it now. <laughs> like, um, you know. I do think um, there's really no excuse uh, for the exoticization of of uh, these cultures and the abstraction from it. And then you couple that with not only your kind of stock white savior figure who saves them all, but like, hey, the heroic forces are here who is it it's the british colonials oh uh that that's what we're doing thank goodness they're here to just mow down the natives and save the day it's 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 pretty inexcusable um and you know i i completely agree that there's a lot of really good stuff here which doesn't undercut the really bad stuff and you know i think it is, you know, a place of white privilege to be like, but it, it still can be pretty fun anyway, because it's not my face that's getting mowed down by the colonials. Uh, so I, I just I always want to caveat that, like I any compliments I give it, if, if your response is like, no way, it's trash, it should be thrown away. I can't really, you know, argue for the baby in the bathwater. There's a lot of bath water here not a lot of babies stop greg the metaphor's bad uh so yeah. why are we uh, bringing babies really into it please <laughs> <laughs> um but I, I so all that primarily that but i did read a really interesting read on the banquet scene so the banquet scene if you read it um as this is what hollywood thinks uh you know India is like, that's really, really bad, right? Eyeball soup, snake surprise, they just eat bugs, terrible stuff. Um, but I recently read this this interpretation of it that was a defense, but was saying like, remember in that moment, it's a whole bunch of thuggy cultists who discovered that they're about to be found out and have a uh, British official there, uh, to the regional governor, to to, and so maybe this is all just crazy performative. Like, let's be the stereotype they hold of us, and they will flee, they will run away, right? Like, and so Willie kind of plays into the what they're expecting. I don't know. That's doing a lot of work that's not on the page, but I did. I it gave me pause to be like, you know, there is a way in which the end of the film isn't always in play when people argue about the first part of the film. So mm -hmm. it's worth considering in my mind. The, yeah, the, the uh, dinner scene, I think is, I don't know. It feels like the clearest example of like, so, like, when you watch it again, where you're just sort of like, yeah, this is, this is like bad on a, 
yeah, like cult- socio-cultural level. Um, but I, I did see, I, I saw it, not that defense. That's an interesting defense, but that like, it was someone discussing it and it was just sort of like, it, I want to say it was someone who actually worked on the movie, but like in some sort of crew tech capacity being like, the joke wasn't supposed to be look at all the weird things these people eat. Like, isn't this really gross? But the joke was supposed to be on Willie for like, you know, like her exaggerated overreactions to it. So like, it's supposed to be sexist and not racist. Um, is sort of the defense, <laughs> I guess. But like, it was interesting where like the, the sort of ultimate thing was just sort of like, yeah, it didn't work. Like the, the, the joke didn't land. It wouldn't really set up properly. I will say that, um, uh, you know, not to not to Britta Perry this that like you know I'll excuse the racism and I'll excuse the sexism, um, but where I draw the line is why is there a moment when they bring out a snake and cut it open and a bunch of little snakes fall out and someone starts eating them and Indiana Jones doesn't react to it like what the <laughs> hell are we doing like what is happening in this movie that they just forget to to tie that back in. Uh, and have him like see it and respond to it, even if it's to like contain himself. It's that's that's the biggest crime. Not really. It's the racism, but um, <laughs> it's it's uh, that's that's always frustrated me. Maybe because the snake's dead. But the wriggling snakes that are come out I know, are but alive. They're, they're little. I don't know. Yeah, it I think it's supposed sense. to be. He's so busy talking to the. Yeah. Um. Uh. uh I don't know. I forget. What, not the prime minister, but the sort of the 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 uh, local official, and then the the Maharaj uh, who's at the end of the table that he just maybe doesn't see it, but mm. missed so opportunity. I, I think even if the, the sort of bend over backwards to rationalize this theory that, that Greg's offering, even if that was actually the intent, I feel like it's undermined by the gaze created by the camera. Right, because even mm-hmm. if like the characters are like perform like being performative and they aren't really like that, they aren't really eating those things or whatever, the camera is like really glor like like almost filming it like it's a horror scene, right? Like where it's like there's there's disgust disgust built into the way it's shot, right? And so I think even if we were even if the plot is saying it's something about about these characters the audience is still supposed to be grossed out. And I think that's still the lingering problem, <laughs> even if even if this other theory holds true. Um, and that's what really stuck out on this rewatch was that I was just like, wow, like this is really so much of this is just the camera being like, look at this foreign weird custom. Isn't it gross? Uh, and there's just so many bugs in this movie. It's just mm-hmm. <laughs> she reaches, her, she has to reach her hand in. They're just crawling all over her back. Um, we are and, going so, to die. <laughs> said, How many times does he say that in that scene? It's like it's it's ridiculous. Um, but so so a lot of critics trace the character of Indiana Jones back to Alan Quartermain, which is the H. Ryder Haggard, um. Victorian adventure, like Imperial adventure series. Uh, Alan Quartermain, you might also know, like shows up in the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, I believe. Um, he's like one of the minor, more minor characters. But the King Solomon's Minds is the first book in that series. And Temple of Doom, to me, is the closest to that, mm. that book where it's like, there's no, there's no layer of 
displacement of like, oh, this is inspired by these old adventure stories. It's just reproducing that type of adventure story. Um, Cause like all of, <laughs> all of King Solomon's minds is like, look at these crazy monstrous supernatural Africans. Don't we want to like be heroic and like steal their stuff and rescue, like, you know, and mm-hmm. then escape, escape them by a thin margin and have a mm-hmm. good time. Right. Um, and so, so to me, Temple of Dune is the one indie film that kind of sticks out as like, um, just doing that again, <laughs> as opposed to like being inspired by that and trying to like iterate on it or like, you know, update it or something like that. Um, but yeah, the other thing too, is just like, I do not like Willie Scott. Mm. That was actually like a really big, you mean Mrs. Fableman? <laughs> oh, is that really? Oh, I'm just processing that. Oh, and it just clicked. Well, we'll talk about Raiders in a bit, but the mom had a monkey too. Man, she's mm-hmm. she's oh, whoa. of them. And of course, we I think most listeners will know, of course, this is where Spielberg met Kate Capshaw and yeah. they've been married since. So mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was fun to see them walking the red carpet uh, last Oscar season. Uh, and you're like, hey, there's there's Willie Scott. Um, yeah, the scene for me where um, just the Indian short round are playing cards and it's gold in the their part of the scene. And mm-hmm. then she's stamping around and grabbing animals and screaming. And it's like it's so over the top. It's hard to imagine what they were actually looking for four um and i think there's no way to interpret that as this is a foolish woman right and and when she drops the gun and says i broke a nail and um you know part of it is that all those jokes have become cliche because they were here but they weren't ever that acceptable and um i i have heard a lot of stories that karen allen really pushed to make changes for Marion to make her indies equal. And there was clearly no attempt to do that here. This is like, you know, we, we need to swerve away from Marion as we do the second film. And so we're going to make it somebody totally different. And, um, and they did. I mean, I think the two characters are opposites in almost every way, but it's pretty bad. Um, That scene in particular in the camp on the campground really reminded me of, the original parent trap movie. <laughs> Do either of you know yeah. what I'm talking about? Where, yeah, where they, yeah, they, right. the, the, um, the like stepmom to be that they, that we're not supposed to like, they sort of like trick her into like f- having a total freak out and being like, I hate the woods. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I feel like that's an exact line that Willie says at some point. Where <laughs> she's like, I hate outside. Um, so I feel like that, I, I don't know, like that's probably what they were going for. Just that she's just, a city gal and she doesn't she's the the humor is that Indy is so at home roughing it and she's not or something like that but even like the scenes between the two of them like i i this time around when they finally kind of get together at the end i'm just like this doesn't make sense they have Mm -hmm. no they have no chemistry (laughs) like where's marion like (laughs) it's too james bondy it was like ah yeah with every girl every time and it's like nah, it doesn't really um work here the the mirror like flirtation and then that works but then when she's like i'm right here when he's touching the wall you're like what is like she's like that hard up she's like yes in the middle of this awful adventure i'm 
desperate to be with this man. It's like, I don't I don't think that really is anybody's real life. That is just a male yeah. fantasy projection. And, and he keeps saying, like, you know, you're just in denial. You know, you're crazy about me. I'm like, nothing he's done has really indicated that. Mm. <laughs> like, I, I think the the sort of maybe overarching statement to bring all these things in together is, you know, these are high elevated, I don't want to say high fantasy, but elevated fantastical movies. But in general, the main characters, the main hero characters are believable people. And she's the exception where it's just like, this is not a believable person. Like this is some sort of a cartoon that has been imported into this. And I remember, I mean, in the eighties or maybe even after that, like, there was always sort of said jokingly where it's just sort of like, well, that's the divorce movie because both Spielberg and Lucas were, had gone through divorces and they were, you know, really feeling it, which kind of translates to like, they just didn't like women. Um, they were mad at broads. And so they made Willie Scott and, you know, she's a broad you're not going to like. And, you know, that's, um, you know, it's tough. It's not, it doesn't really, doesn't really hold up, which I don't, you know, I don't really think it's Kate Capshaw's fault i think it's just yeah. you know that's what she was asked to to do and then separate from you know now this i feel like what i'm gonna say sounds bad um but just on an, a sound mixing audio level she is also like incredibly high-pitched and shrill like all the time um to the degree where it's like you know it, it's fun when the sounds are heightened for punches and gunshots when it's her like screaming or whining it's just like jesus this needs to stop <laughs> like this is grating and annoying and again maybe intentional but not a good intention by the filmmakers uh i just can we gush about short round now oh that is exactly what i was gonna do Mm -hmm. i was just gonna say that you know we have to acknowledge you know we're in the year of kihui khan and i i will say i think there was a part of me that probably in the early 2000s thought they had coaxed him to put on a kind of accent that was like a performance of his race and in now having spent a year seeing him give heartwarming speeches and talking in interviews and following his instagram where he just loves taking selfies with celebrities which is totally endearing um you know i think it's really him and i really love that character i don't think this movie has a better moment for me than when they wake up they hug they give each other their hats and then they kick ass together and mm-hmm. there there's a mirroring there that's beautiful and and it's actually a much better father son thing than um than they ever achieve with mutt and and indy so uh yes I, no no notes for short round um no time for love dr jones will always be iconic so <laughs> hang on lady we going to go for a ride uh it's I mean, yeah, in in retrospect, like if there's one thing to change, and there's probably many things we'd want to change, but maybe if there's one thing to change about Crystal Skull, what if it was short round instead of Mutt Williams? Like what if, uh, you know, and and obviously that's hindsight makes that a lot easier. Um, But yeah, he's he's great. Uh, And I mean, as someone who grew up on Temple of Doom and also the Goonies, it was just sort of like, I love, I love him. Like this guy's great. Um, and him coming back and having this, you know, we've discussed it, but him having this phenomenal run uh, and re-entering pop culture has been awesome. I, I, I'm, I have no speculation. I have not read anything. I don't want to know. I just hope that like, even if it was like last minute reshoots, they did something to put him into Dial of Destiny. Mm. Aw, that would be great. 
Um, uh, and I'm going to just say the short round television show is the only Indiana Jones spinoff I'm ready to accept at this point. Uh, yes. Do it. I don't, I, whatever era, his current age, but who did he become after being with Indy? Mm. How did Indy abandon him? Um, presumably, uh, you know, right. I'm, I'm there for that. Well, how they part ways with, with yeah. Yeah. Presumptuous. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and I think this time around rewatching it, I was like, in every way that I'm not buying the Indy Willie relationship, I am like the real romance is Indy Short Round. You know what I mean? For me, I'm just like, it's because when the when we're in the final sequence where Indy's he's they've made him drink the whatever, and he's like possessed. Willie screaming at him doesn't snap him out of it, but short round being like, I love you, Indy. Well, and burning does. him. And you burning him. Burn. Yeah, yeah, sure. But it's it's a it's a it's a combo move. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I feel and and like so to me their their relationship was so much deeper with not as much said, right? Like I feel like it was so much more believable when he's explaining, oh, like I caught him like the their backstory is is so believable in the context of Indiana Jones. You know what I mean? Like the fact that like they're both, they're very similar and they're just trying, they're making things up as they go along. They're just trying to scrape to get by and then they kind of their paths cross and then they team up. Like it just made, it just makes so much sense and they're adorable. They are. I agree. I also want to uh, shout out. We were, was it before we were recording that we were joking about the, Anything goes performance uh, and the potential uh, racism of uh, of that. I don't know, um, but uh, I mean, a, a a great preview for Spielberg's West Side Story. Uh, <laughs> uh, Thirty five years or so in the making. Um, B whatever about the musical number that opening sequence in the club. Uh, I, I, I'm sorry that, to take this from Greg, but I will note it's Club Obi Wan. Um, <laughs> that like that's great. Like that just works. Uh, uh, super well, um, and uh, it the whole sort of sequence ends with I think the prize winner for weirdest cameo in Indiana Jones movie with the presence of Dan Aykroyd for like two lines. Uh, all, just a phenomenal section. Uh, Harrison Ford in the white tuxedo jacket can get it. Um, as as always, uh, he's no longer attainable. Well. So, so no longer attainable in the white tuxedo jacket, and then the ripped shirt, bulging muscles on the bridge. Um, mm. You know, you're like, is this a prequel? Because I think you bulked up a little. Um, uh, I, uh, I, I just want to give a shout out. Uh, my college roommate, his name is Zach. I don't think he'll listen to this, but he, his favorite Indiana Jones character, is the waiter friend, and like. If I beat him at the battle mode of Mario Kart, he would always just turn to me and say, like, I go first, Indy, I go first. And it I can't watch that scene without thinking of him and how um, you know, it's it's Star Wars has a lot of those too. It's like, yes, it's like two lines, and you're like, that's a book, that's a comic. Like there's so much there that you could explore. Um, maybe nobody's clamoring for it, but it's like, you're like, yeah, they've been on adventures together. Right. And, and it's perfect. So I love that opening scene. Um, yeah, all of it. We've also seen that type of scene in so many other things, including star Wars, right? Like it's the classic 
I'm going to buy something from you, double cross. Like, I feel like we just mm-hmm. saw this in The Bad Batch, right? There's an episode of The Bad Batch that's yeah. mm-hmm. essentially this. <laughs> and, and not to go back to keep bagging on Crystal Skull, but like, it's funny that they spend however much time they spend with Mac uh, in Crystal Skull. And it's just sort of like, oh, but uh, and really. I feel bad because I don't remember the character's name. But yeah, the, the, the waiter partner in Temple of Doom has like four or five lines and it's just sort of like i believe everything about the two of you um and maybe it's because they're not trying to fold double cross upon double cross upon double cross between the two of them but um yeah it's it's very it's very elegant storytelling uh and I think that's true across the whole movie except for the parts that are uh very inelegant all right we're ready to move to number two yeah i think it's time to disagree on something finally yeah is this the one I believe, because um, I, mean, I, I think I feel like I'm going. I'm going. Ch- I think chalk of a pretty standard. I'm saying Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade uh, for number two, um, which uh, you know it's it's tough between two and one. Um, I I I I believe I, I don't want to bogart. Uh, uh, I don't think that's the right word, but I don't want to take um, uh, something that I think uh, a fellow co-host will say. But I've heard Greg on podcasts say. That like, well, I'd rather watch The Last Crusade as like my Indiana Jones movie. And I, for the lo- longest time, generally felt that way too. Like I used to say, Raiders of the Lost Ark is the best Indiana Jones movie. Last Crusade is my favorite. Um, it's no disrespect to Last Crusade that like over the last like five or 10 years, I've been like, actually, I think I'm back on Raiders being both. Um, but like not by a ton. Like Last Crusade is awesome. Uh, it's super fun. Uh, it's uh, uh, you know, we can get into all the things that are uh, are great about it. Um, uh, it's interesting to me that there is a, a segment of people who are a little older than me. Uh, you guys are a few years younger than me. The people who I know who are on the other side that are about, you know, three to six or seven years older than me actively dislike this movie um, yeah. and are just sort of like, Clearly, Temple of Doom is the second best. Last Crusade sucked. When it came out, I was so disappointed. Um, and it, we, we can unpack why. But, like, there is a lot more humor. Things get a little goofier. Um, it's possible that Marcus Brody is done dirty um, because he used to be a perfectly respectable uh, academic and university administrator. And it becomes a bumbling buffoon. But it's awesome. It's it's the it's the funniest things uh, come in and around Marcus Brody in this movie, um, and uh, yeah, I mean it's 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 possible again like the, the the critique it's possible that it's it's an, too much of an overcorrection from Temple of Doom in that it's just sort of like what did you like about Raiders? We have Nazis like we have a Judeo Christian uh, artifact he's going for, huh? Like isn't that right? But the 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 addition of the tone, the little prequel section in the beginning, parentheses. River Phoenix is the only person to successfully uh, play uh, Indiana Jones besides Harrison Ford and keep people interested, even if it's only for like 12 minutes. Um, and uh, and just the introduction of Sean Connery as his dad, which it's very unfortunate that we didn't get more from, you know, more movies when he was active as an actor um, between to get like the chemistry between the two of them. But it is also perfect that like this story is the story. And, uh, you know, I would love it for Dial of Destiny to be so good that I'm just like this. Yes. Like I want this to always be included, but um, unless it's like so absolutely fabulous, I have no way of even like partly uh, uh, ever questioning it. 
I'm always sort of in my mind going to be like, this is a three movie story that ends with them literally riding off into the sunset. Uh, and, and it's perfect because of that. So uh, this so I, is where the podcast falls apart. Yeah. Let's go. Uh, I, I, so, so I think I'm, I'm definitely the other way for these last two. I would put Raiders here and, and last crusade at the top. Jen is the same as, yes, as me. Correct. As me. Uh, so we, I think we can just say that, but then let's just have our last crusade discussion and then Raiders and then have a zoom fist fight perhaps after that. <laughs> uh, so, um, I I would always take Last Crusade over the top um, for the reason PT said. And now I'm like, where did I say that already somewhere? I'm, I'm too present online. The AI is going to have a, a Greg bot very soon. Um, so uh, I... I think Last Crusade, if I'm being critical of it, because we've often started with like what's going wrong with these movies, I do think the way in which it becomes a family, um, not family as in it's about a father, son, but family as in like, this is good for the whole family to sit down and watch. It's kind of sanitized in a way. Yes, there's still a little violence. Yes, there's still a little sex, but it's like this, this is just kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's more goofy at times and, and would, you know, again, my seven-year-old thought this one was great. He checked out a Raiders in Temple of Doom and thought this one was great. And I think that's kind of what they were going for. They went too dark. They needed to kind of do a carbon copy of Raiders in a lot of ways. So they, they went back to all this. Um, and, and that's there. I also, um, even all our criticism of Willie Scott aside or included, I, I find her more compelling than Elsa. I, I don't really get Elsa in this, this film in a lot of ways and who she is and, and uh, some of that. But, but then that's all the negative stuff I'm going to say. Uh, that's funny because I don't even I don't even compare her because she ends up being a villain. So in my brain, mm. I categorize her as a villain and not a romantic interest, really. Mm, that's interesting. Um, but yeah, uh, I think this movie's uh, so fun. Um, uh, you allude to Marcus Brody. The greatest film cut of all time is from, uh, you know, with any luck, he's got the grail already. Disappear, blend in with any luck. Yeah. That was almost uh, my opening line. I don't know if you also <laughs> considered it. Uh, and and then cutting to him, um, there's a, I mean, my favorite denim, Elliot joke. Just after the cut, he says, Water, no thank you. Fish make love in it, which is just so incredibly strange as a line that a human being would say. Um, But it it gives me endless joy to watch this movie. Um, I quote it all the time. I suddenly remembered my Charlemagne. Mm -hmm. Um, I even just used the other day we were I was somewhere with my son who wouldn't get the reference. But I said, what about the boat? We're not taking the boat. (laughs) And, uh, you know, uh, it's a really, uh, you know, totally fun uh, time to me. Um, It is very much Star Wars and Empire to me. Um, It depends on the day and the mood I'm in. You might find me and I'd say Empire is is there. Um, But, you know, I if I'm saying, you know, what belongs in the time capsule, what belongs in the top 10 Harrison Ford movies, you have to pick Raiders of these films as the best, most important, most culturally impactful film. Uh, But I still think I prefer personally Last Crusade. I'll stop rambling. Last Crusade rules. Okay. Here's why Last Crusade is better than Raiders. One, the puzzles are way better. Like that, all the trials that he has to go through, the Jehovah, like all of those things, like they're just so good. 
they're like they're in terms of like as me as the viewer following along and being like oh like i'm feeling smart as i'm figuring things out with indie like i think those to me are just so much more enjoyable than any of the ones we get in the other movies um so that's one two sean connery and harrison ford pure magic can't be beat i just, just like i don't know what to tell you uh the the scene where they're both tied to the chairs and flipping around is just, this is intolerable just, this is, like and just the physical comedy of like oh he's as as sean connery is trying to talk like it's flipping around again like it's just mm-hmm. and the yeah the comedic timing between the two of them and they're and like they're just so believable as father and son that don't get along and yet are so much alike and like it's it's and like that sean connery is like one minute you're writing him off as a doddering old man and the next minute you're like oh like like i see the resemblance like he he's Mm -hmm. he's got it too right and and i just yeah it's like i think there's i am hard pressed to think of another movie that has a duo like that that has just so much chemistry and humor and are just just pure joy uh so those are my two reasons why i prefer or i'm always gonna pick last crusade over raiders even though raiders for all the reasons that greg just said (laughs) like like is the probably the one right like it's the one that people are gonna point to a hundred years from now to be like Mm -hmm. yes this is the indiana jones movie but um and then he was named after the dog at the end (laughs) it's an amazing bit like it's <laughs> and and like and it's amazing because because I should get more specific. It's amazing because it's it's not just because it's a joke, but it unlocks so much about Indiana Jones as a character. The idea that he had to craft this name for himself to sort of puff himself up and make him like I am an explorer, I am an adventurer, right? Uh, it's like his brand, right? But then we find out that it's just this really hokey origin like he he got he came up with the name because that was what his dog was named and it just makes him somewhat eat that much more endearing right uh and and really unlocks like the perform like the performative arrogant sort of like overconfidence that we see in all the other movies and like gives it another layer underneath so Mm -hmm. it also has it also has the meta truth of george lucas's dog was named indiana uh, mm. And sat in the front seat with him, and so he, it was the impetus, the the inspiration for both Chewbacca and the name Indiana Jones. Previously, Indiana Smith, I believe, was the original, mm. uh, the original draft. Look, I have no problem with everything you're all saying. I love Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. <laughs> like I said, if we had done this podcast, probably, I, I now that I'm thinking about it, I think it was when they did like an anniversary screening in IMAX of Raiders, which must have been. 2011 so because it wasn't too recently so it's either 2011 or 2016 because it you know would have been on the one or the zero or the five um and i saw an imax and i was just like i think i love this movie more than last crusade uh and you know again that's not easy because i've I've always loved last crusade and before that i would have been right there with you guys um because everything you're saying is correct it's uh, uh it's super fun my uh, spinoff story. I want. I do want the short round story. I don't necessarily. I don't want a TV show, but I would love to know more about the um, 
Brotherhood of the Cruciform Cross and like what they've mm-hmm. been up to and how they've stopped the Grail uh, over over the years. Um, that's the, a Dan Brown movie. Yeah, that's oh, right. it, would be, it would be a Dan Brown movie. Um, uh, that's fair. The uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, everything about the Sean Connery, uh, 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 Julian Glover as Walter Donovan is uh, is great. Um, I also, you know, it may be age difference, but I remember the like release of the movie and like it being this huge thing. There was, I remember it being on TV. It was also, I think, on the VHS, like that was either in a box set or maybe we just had, like we purchased the VHS of Last Crusade. There was like a Pepsi ad that had yes. the the night like you, you you chose poorly and all that with like a stuntman uh, who's always in shadow, supposed to be Indiana Jones. Um, and I, I mean, I love that ad. Um, and like, like Greg said, this movie is eminently quotable. Um, I'm going to, uh, not a roommate, but a uh, a, a floor mate and uh, a long-term friend of mine, Mark, uh, Mark Ranshaw, from uh, where, where I went to college. Uh, we both took um, this like huge, like in a, in a huge auditorium, uh, this, this seminar from a, a, a renowned scholar about World War II that was like the rise and fall of Nazi Germany. And it was, you know, the whole class was like just him giving lectures. Um, and he was a really good storyteller. So it was spellbinding. And then it was like you had one midterm and you had a final blue book, sit there, fifty both of them 50% of your grade. So it was a big deal. And Mark spent the whole, like leading up to the final saying, he just wants to write in his blue book, Nazis, I hate these guys, in a quote, and then attribute it to Dr. Henry J. Jones Jr. Uh, and turn it in and 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 see if he would get an A. I don't think he did that, um, but he did. He said for the whole semester, that's what he's going to do on the final. Um, I will also just note, um, there are amazing scenes in, uh, uh, in Raiders um, early on uh, in the in the school, but I don't know if any movie fully captures the insanity of tenured faculty like Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade between Brody uh, Henry Jones Senior and uh, uh, we 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 stand uh, uh, an action hero who will not grade papers um, uh, in Henry Jones Junior um, and who just like walks out on office hours. Uh, nothing but mad respect for him uh, on that. Uh, he's uh, he's praxis. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> um, I want to say this is the one that I definitely think hits a lot different post Fablemans. Uh, a father and son who both sleep with the same woman. Uh, hey, oh, uh, isn't that kind of what the problem in Fablemans? Uh, it, it, anyway, uh, so that and then the train, of course, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, the train is such a central part of his awakening at the start of Fablemans. And then that that is also the impetus of waking up. Um, young Indy is telling. Uh, Other thing I want to just throw in, these are my last crusade scraps. Um, I guess it is well known. I only learned this this week uh, from a different podcast um, that Fedora, who, which is the only name given for the man at the beginning who finds the cross of Coronado was originally uh, Abner Ravenwood. And if you want, could still be Abner Ravenwood. Um, It, he goes unnamed. He's it's credited as just Fedora. But that was like, oh, that makes so much more sense to me that, mm-hmm. you know, this could be, you know, the dad rejects him and makes him counting Greek. So I'm going with Abner and we're going to track down and I'm going to m- model my life off of Abner. And then 
all that fits in well. Um, that sounds fantastic to me. But I, you know, again, they they clearly didn't want to say that in the film. So up to your uh, viewer's choice. That is interesting. Um, I will uh, I, I will note that uh, in terms of my uh, scraps on it, that the uh, the, the the quote uh, "It belongs in a museum," which is in the the, you know, the when you cut to Harrison Ford uh, being Indiana Jones and his sort of a thesis, um, you know that's an interesting. We we talked about the sort of Orientalism over racism. There is that sort of low key colonialism problem of potentially inherent in Indiana Jones of like you know. Uh, the, the the British Museum of it all of just sort of like what if I go to this crazy place and I obtain your uh, you know uh, uh, obtainer of lost antiquities um, what what if I I go and do that and it's like nowadays that does not necessarily thought of uh, mm. as being so perfect and I have for a little while now when I teach the upper division we don't have a rhetorical situation segment today because we're not doing one movie but when I uh, so this is my my faculty thing I'll bring in when I teach. Um, the upper division, sort of more more uh, forward thinking, professional minded uh, uh, students. The the sort of uh, uh, professional audience essay um, uh, in the arts and humanities thing. I sort of give them like you have to choose an ethical dilemma, and one of the readings I give them and the framing of the prompt is about like what do we do with looted art? What do we do with sort of art that is in museums that you know maybe should go back to the home countries um, and the sort of debate back and forth about that. And I have a quote of you know this is perhaps best summarized uh, in the uh, in the words of famed archaeologist Dr. Henry Jones Jr. Uh, <laughs> it belongs in a museum. Literally, no student has ever commented on that uh, being a, uh, meaning anything to them or or reacted to it when we've uh, you know if, if we're reading it out loud in class. No, maybe no one cares. Maybe no one under the age of thirty cares. Um, but uh, yeah, that's just one of the many things. Like I use that gif all the time. If someone says or does something that is like, "Oh, this is perfect. This is brilliant." Like it just it belongs in a museum. Uh, I was is the is the cross the only thing Indy ever gets to keep? I think across the movies, everything else he either d- doesn't find or gives away or has taken from him. I think that's the only thing we actually see make it to the museum. But Jen, to you. No, I was just going to say that, that this is something I often ponder because I love Indiana Jones as a character and I love the franchise. And yet I'm like, well, how do we... And I put this question later in our Google Doc, so we can just skip ahead to it now if it makes sense. But what's the right way to bring that character and these types of stories into the 21st century? And I I, I kind of had to backpedal because I was like, well, Crystal Skull was in 2008, but like maybe so maybe I just mean 2023. But like, you know, what is the proper way to update this character so that's no longer because I think the original movies work because there are also Nazis. Mm-hmm. So it's like they have a like there's a bigger it's easier to ignore the post-colonial like the the imperial plundering <laughs> if, right. if we're also well, fighting Nazis. Well, yeah, it's not being taken from the people of these countries. It's being taken from the Nazis who are going to take it anyway. So it's like well, we'll just take it first and then isn't that better? Like you don't want the Nazis to have this. Um and you can be like, "Oh yeah, that's true. I don't um and so it makes it easier um i mean uh you know with um uh, uh oh my god i can't remember his name hannibal 
uh, uh, Junior uh, Soto's dad. Uh, Mickelson. Yeah, uh, Mads, Mads Mickelson. Um, I think we're just bringing, are we just bringing a Nazi back? He seems like a Nazi to me. Um, so it's sort of just like, you know, which uh, unfortunately also makes sense in 2023. It's just like, maybe the Nazis are back. Like, let's just, <laughs> let's just do that and we'll keep it easy. Yeah. And I, I'm interested to see where Indy is. Um, you know, again, I, I have read very little, but it certainly looks from the trailer like he's not like a well-respected, renowned professor now. He seems like, I mean, a figure who's probably familiar to the three of us, which is the guy who should have retired and is still taking up his <laughs> full-time tenure line. Um, and so it, I don't, know if that will also i mean the late 60s is kind of the leading edge of when you could start to have some of that movement really gathering at least as i understand it the kind of you're a criminal um but i also i mean helena has the line in the trailer you know and i stole it you stole it from me and i stole it from you and 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 i stole it from you and that's called capitalism like there is a way in which they're they're playing with the the greed as a part of that mm-hmm. and there's i mean it, this will bleed into the next discussion there's always been like a belloc indie thing the dichotomy of are you getting it for the betterment of humanity or are you doing it to make yourself wealthy um and this is a stretch but willie and indie are kind of like that right willie just wants the diamond willie just will marry the maharaja to be rich and wear fancy dresses like and he you know the theme of fortune and glory runs there and and so you know maybe you know India has always been the white hat in that. And yet maybe he's going to find himself at the point where, you know, now even that's not good enough and maybe it should never have been good enough. I, who knows? I, I really don't know where it will go. I'm sidetracking briefly or jumping back. Perhaps am I the only one who has had the sort of thought? I feel like this is out there. It's not just my thought um, that temple of doom being a prequel to the uh, to Raiders of the Lost Ark and the <clears throat> other movies allows them to do the sort of fortune and glory thing and that it's the events of Temple and Doom that mm-hmm. push Indy away from just being like I just need to like get stuff and like you know get the get the money and the fame for it and instead is like you know does it in a slightly higher purpose way which again maybe is colonialism and and imperialism and all of that um but you know is it could at least be seen as high-minded, certainly in the 30s and to some degree in the 80s when the movie was being made. That said, if someone finds these movies in a time capsule hundreds of years from now, is there anything that in the films themselves that is going to tell them, oh, but this happened before the other one? Mm. Yeah, there's a date yeah. in the yeah. beginning. Yeah. Oh, okay. It says, you know, what, uh, Shanghai, 1935, and I think Raiders is, is 1936, South okay. America, 1936. Okay. But you got to pay attention. Right, know? right, yeah. right. Yeah, that's – you're giving me a lot of credit there and <laughs> being like, well, it's just there. Uh, I didn't I didn't do that math um, when I first watched these movies. I was just like, <laughs> okay, that's a, that's a time long ago. I, I do feel like that was a thing when you were – you know, if you did notice it when you were a kid where you were just like, oh, my God. Like you could set a movie before another movie. That's insane. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so look, my your number two, my number one, both of your number twos is Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, good movie. Um, they ever heard of it? Uh, and it's uh, you know, I, it, you know, again, it's tough because Last Crusade is is maybe in many ways more fun, but I just think Raiders hits on every 
level. Uh, it is still funny um, while while not being as centered on the comedy as Last Crusade, um, but it's just sequence to sequence, moment to moment, just feels. Um, I mean, I, I'm sure there's flaws. We could pick away at some flaws, uh, but uh, you know, feels like you don't question. It feels impeccable as it's unfolding, and uh, the the we were sort of mentioning it earlier. It feels like we're we're in like we're we're celebrating the uh, iconography and and uh, power of a longstanding character, but it actually was the movie that introduced him, um, and I feel like that speaks to the the success of it um the 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 sort of images that 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 stand out um and that come through uh consistently across the whole thing uh are uh are incredible um karen allen in this movie is just miles ahead of any other uh female companion uh belloc in this movie in my opinion is miles ahead of any adversary um sala is is at the peak i mean he's great in last crusade too um but sala is just great as the as a sort of sidekick here um the the opening you know again pre-credit oh not pre-credits but you know beginning james bond type mini adventure um is it just works so well uh r.i.p alfred molina's character uh you were an idiot uh and you, you alfred molina had died that really scared me i was like sorry <laughs> sorry what I, what I was going to say was r.i.p and the actual name and i was like i don't remember what his name is it begins with a t um, yeah you, satipo it's not because of the t it, it has a t in the middle um r.i.p satipo alfred molina as far as I know, still going strong. I apologize if I cursed him um, for uh, for tonight, but uh, yeah, it's it's uh, um, it's excellent. And I I will say that in uh, in my opinion, um, uh, and again, I haven't really thought this through. I'm just saying it, um, so maybe I'll be wrong. But like, what I think of what are the greatest, uh, most successful scenes of exposition of extended exposition uh, in movies? It's it's the the, the finalists are. Doc Brown in the mall parking lot explaining the time machine and and how he developed it and and everything that's happening with the with the car um, in Back to the Future and uh, the scene with the two military men showing up to talk to India India and Brody and like we have this this the telegram what is an arc like who's Abner Ravenwood and it's all just an info dump and it is so fascinating and it's basically just like oh right well. Indiana Jones gives a good lecture. He's just giving mm. like a lecture on the history of these things, but it's like the sort of ebb and flow of, of uh, Indy and Brody's excitement about like, Oh my God, we could be, they could be on the verge of finding this thing. Like, this is amazing. Um, and like, look at all these, this thing, but it's crazy. And like, Oh, and, like they, they buy into the sort of myth and then they start throwing it away or just sort of like, I don't know. Like, well, that's what they, they say. Who knows? Um, and then the, the military guys have their own little internal uh, uh, back and forth about like, you know, uh, uh, William Hookins is clearly like all these people are Nazis and I don't trust them. And the other guy is just like, oh, I'm so happy we found the right people. Um, and it, it, the, the, all these little character moments um, and that moment carries through to the top men uh, in the penultimate scene of the movie. Uh, it's just great. And uh, and I love it. And as fun as Last Crusade is, um, the sort of joy I get from all of the pieces clicking together of the adventure of Raiders puts it up into number one for me. Um, uh, even though, again, like I, I maybe have more fun with Last Crusade, I think I get more joy from Raiders. Jen, you share your thoughts. I I can't argue with that. 
necessarily, though I, I stand by my shouting into my mic and blowing it out to, to argue my last crusade is better. This is um, why. Yeah, you but, but no, no, you're totally right. Like none of the other movies happen without this one. And that's a cliched thing to say about a multi-film franchise or a trilogy that somehow turned into this other thing. Um, as you were saying, it's a perfect trilogy that we decided to mess with. Um, but I, I feel like this does such a good job of starting the franchise starting Mm -hmm. the trilogy for all the reasons you just said and it really like belloc in particular like because i don't know i didn't really think too much about belloc honestly as a as a villain but in this watch rewatch i really clung to his speech about like you and i are really the same Mm -hmm. like i'm Mm -hmm. i'm you you know just like two clicks darker kind yeah. of you know like it wouldn't take uh, much to push you to yeah. become me yeah and i think that's such a good character moment for both of them and and that there's like a mutual respect mm-hmm. it makes him such so much more interesting as a villain i think and then actually that like marion does kind of like him also mm-hmm. is like very interesting and complicated um because you're not quite sure i'm like you're like oh like because she says like i have no loyalty to jones Mm-hmm. He's brought me nothing but trouble. And in that moment, you genuinely don't, or at least I don't, I genuinely am not sure if she yeah. means it or if it's an act. Yeah. And I think that's really great. Like it's so it's, it makes me want to watch it more. I feel bad because I know Greg's been up a really long time and it's late, but two things, uh, the opening shot uh, in Marion's bar in, in Nepal, which is this crane shot that goes through this drinking game that is this oneer that I think is like two minutes long, but like, you know, it's not flashy, but like has a hundred people in it and has these, like, it goes from this, the, you know, the, the, the sort of full scene to like what's happening with like just these intricate little like movements around the shot glasses to like people reacting around someone's face. It's so intricate and so masterfully done and performed by every Karen Allen and all the other actors. Um, it's, uh, it's excellent. And I'll also say Indi- the Indiana Jones movies has ne- have never had like a secondary villain as great as Tote, the, the German guy uh, who burns his hand uh we not 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 thirsty um like he's he's so great and he's so creepy um and it's it's really satisfying to see his face melt uh at the end of the movie because he's such a jerk so um you know these are these are more these are more points in favor of raiders of the lost ark (laughs) all right so we we did pt put a bunch of oscar trivia in here do we want to save that potentially for sure our when we actually review Dial of Destiny or like, or just like a future episode. And I think, cause I think, you know, the whole point of this episode was to get hyped for Dial of Destiny. And so look at, and look at using this retrospective as a way to kind of look ahead and get excited and think about what's going to happen in this movie that we're about to see. So how are we feeling now after we've had this huge conversation, which again, we've hit two hours. I, I don't know how we, how we keep doing that. Um, but like, how are you feeling? What like, where's your what's your headspace right now for Dial of Destiny? Uh, I'm still, you know, doing my best to tamper down my enthusiasm. I think definitely the last month and my rewatch and just kind of indie being more present in the culture has just all brought back like my love of this character and that he means so much to me. Um, 
I had a lot of hope. I mean, this podcast has gone through how the can reviews really hurt it, but as kind of more of the voices I trust regularly have seen this movie and particularly kind of normies, not film critics, um, I am getting higher and higher hopes. Um, I'm going to go uh, try to make it through the day tomorrow by being a good dad while really just having my mind totally on getting to the theater and seeing Indiana Jones. So, um, you know, I, my bar, which I think I've voiced on this before, is as long as it's a higher note than Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, I think this is a success and worth making. I think this is a chance to it's a gift to get to say goodbye to Harrison Ford and to let him him do this one more time seeing him on the press tour it's been him saying like yeah this is the one i get asked about and this is what matters to fans i just saw a report from uh the london premiere i think was the most recent one and um there was like a hundred fans outside that lucasfilm or disney had you know given passes to and gathered he signed one thing for every single one of them he's like everybody gets one and just went down the line and if it was their pass their program their fedora and it's like that's not the Harrison I know. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's it's clear to me that this his love for this film is is different than it is for Star Wars and so many of his others that are classic. So uh, my hype is in a good place. Uh, I'm I think, you know, pretty easy to please. And so I'm hoping that they just, you know, knock it out of the park. And, you know, I've, I've sampled a little bit of reviews, read a couple things I didn't want to read so far. You know, there's there's a little bit out there. And it's like, you know, I think. I think they're taking some chances and I would rather a movie that takes some chances than pure fan service. So I'm here for it. Even if they're not all home runs, we move away from Wes Anderson and suddenly this becomes a pro normie podcast. <laughs> uh, we're just been waiting for the normies to tell us that it's good. Uh, I really regret ever saying that word on this podcast. It's too <laughs> what late. have I done? Started the, norm, the norm take review. Uh, we, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in a same general p- place as, uh, as Greg. I haven't been reading as much once the sort of initial can review started trickling out and they were negative. I was like, I'm shutting it down. I'm seeing it. So whatever. <laughs> um, so I'm glad I haven't even seen it, but I'm glad to hear that um, there, there have been uh, some more positive reactions out there. Um, even, you know, it, it I feel like there was a little window of time, especially when it was like Harrison was talking about it, but it hadn't premiered yet, where it was just like, what if this is like great? Like not even good, but great. Um, and I, I'm I'm dialed pretty back from that just because of that initial response. Um, and so I'm back to like where Greg is. I just want this to be better than Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. So it is like, we have that. Like, boom, slot that in. That's good. Um, and... You know, it's it's uh, everything you were saying. It uh, you know, I love Harrison Ford, love Indiana Jones, love Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones. So it's great that we get to see it one more time. There was absolutely no guarantee this would happen. Um, so that's really really nice. Phoebe Waller Bridge is incredible. I'm excited to spend time with her in a in a big movie. Um, and the fact that it's this movie is very cool. Um, even though I forgot his name a little while ago, Mads Mikkelsen is is amazing. Um, I also love seeing him in any movie. Movie. So it's like, all of this is good. All of these are pieces that are really good. Um, I really like the idea of the time period, even if we 
are, are not is fully able to nail it down um, and because we don't want to look it up because that might be spoilers. Um, but this sort of late 60s, early 70s idea, like that's really interesting to carry it forward and how it may go. My trepidations are there's on one level, it's just like feels weird to have an Indiana Jones movie without like substantial contributions from Lucas and Spielberg. I know they're both producing, but you know, it, it's weird. Like I, James Mangold's really interesting. I've liked uh, a, a number of his movies. Um, I, I, I trust him. I trust that the people are not just, they're saying things beyond what it feels like they would just say to sell it. Um, that the, the positive things they're saying, they've given him a Star Wars movie. Um, you know, uh, Lucasfilm's given him a Star Wars movie sort of on the back of this. That's another strong endorsement. Um, it's still weird that it's not, uh, it's not Spielberg and Lucas. The three of them really sort of felt like the alchemy that made the character. Will that carry forward? I, I, I hope it does. Um, in terms of the, uh, that they're taking chances. I like that. I, I did sort of like initially in the post can kind of negativity settle into like, I just hope it's the force awakens in terms of how I feel about the, the nostalgia factor of it in, as opposed to like ghostbusters afterlife. And I don't know in like later thinking about that, I don't know if the difference between the force awakens and ghostbusters afterlife is marked difference in those, like the quality of the two movies versus how much I care about the franchises and like the difference of being in 2015 versus being in the 2020s um, where I don't know. I feel like, the geopolitical context of the last like six or seven years have made like glowy, dewy nostalgia, um, not super fun to think about. So um, I'm interested. I hope it doesn't like, you know, uh, uh, veer too much into all of that. I would just love a, a, a good to even decent, uh, fun Indiana Jones adventure. I think that's similar to where I'm at, where, it's actually probably good that we've had such an up and down with the reactions because I think it's helped me get not get too excited or put too much expectations. And that way I'm more likely, I think, to just have a good time and not be overly critical uh, coming out of the theater. And so I think that as long as we get a solid adventure with like indie doing indie things, all the things we've been talking about for over two hours now <laughs> of like him you know solving applying his knowledge of of myth and folklore to solve puzzles and 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 then good at like action scenes that have a lot of humor and and that are coherent and dynamic and you can see see what you know what's happening at all times like all those things that we've kind of been talking about throughout this i think the, the quips like him being kind of a lovable jerk like all the things that we've been sort of been talking about i feel like as long as there's enough of that in there even if like maybe the Spielberg magic is not there or cause I feel like that's, that's the most common thing I've heard from critics is like, this is good, but there's something missing. Like it doesn't have that spark that's of the Spielberg. So even if that's true, but we still get a, fun, a bunch of fun indie adventure stuff. I'll, I'll be happy. I think any other things that we're hoping to see or like thing like it, it could be even an obscure random thing. And then we'll close out, I think, but like what's something that would just make you so happy as a fan. Short round. <laughs> That's a good one. And you'd be happy with just like a quick cameo of Kihei Kwan. I, I, I would honestly assume that it was filmed like in the post everything everywhere all at once, like awards run. And it would just be like, 
I, mean, I don't, I don't want to, hopefully not like this, but I assume it would sort of be like the Joker scene in the Snyder cut where it's just very clearly like just filmed in a green screen and like weirdly inserted in the middle of the movie. Um, or like, it'll be like at the end where it's just like, and we're at, you know, finally Dr. Jones is retiring from his position and his one third filled classes. Um, and there's just like, at like, uh, you know, Tony Stark's funeral, just like, CGI'd into the side is just short round being like, yes, good. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I want a really good last shot because uh, PT alluded to it. Uh, last Crusade has such a good last shot that it felt like a fitting end and that's okay. And we've gotten this more. So give us, give us something on that level. Something that says like, I'm satisfied. Like he's, he's away now. I don't want that to be as, tombstone a la some other movies i won't spoil a random other uh movie of late um but you know i i i want to know that this character uh is is uh is good like is landing in a good place so that's a cool final shot yeah i would i hope there's a bit with the hat that doesn't feel hokey that's what i would want like i because i i feel like i can envision the hokey version Mm-hmm. Like and and one of you alluded to this earlier to be like, look, remember, there's a hat, there's a whip, like these are all things that you like, right? Uh, but I feel like if it's more kind of in keeping with the original films that we've been talking about all this time, and kind of has that hum that that visual humor through the action, I think that would that would be really great. All right, I think that's a wrap. Greg, I don't we know how it. you're still awake. It's, it's like five in the morning where he is. It's so late. And you have to go see this movie tomorrow. <laughs> like, how are you going to do this? I'll be fine. Uh, um, I rally. So, uh, okay. yeah, it's been it's been a pleasure. Uh, but I do think I might have accidentally woken up my toddler. So I'm going to oh, say no. find me on ioncanon.com. All right. Thanks, Bye, Greg. Greg. Happy, happy indie. Oh, no. All right. Where can people find you, PT? Uh, they could find me on Instagram or Letterboxd at PT McNiff, PT MCNIFF. Uh, and I, I don't think I've woken anybody up. So I'm, I'm safe. That's good. And you can find me at Subchakchai, S O P C H O C K C H A I on Instagram and Qui Gon Jen on Letterboxd. I also do not think I've woken anyone up, but I feel like I'm so sequestered in my closet, secret passage office, and the door shut that, like, total havoc could be happening outside the door and I wouldn't even know. So we'll, that'll be a surprise after we log off. <laughs> um, all right. But yeah, for everyone going to see Dial of Destiny this weekend, have hope you have a great time. We'll see you on the other side. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening. You can follow The Long Take on Substack at thelongtake.substack.com. Subscribe for free to receive reviews of films with Oscar buzz, as well as new films and series from pop franchises like Star Wars and Marvel.